0: The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Big News Coming Soon podcast. Before we start, I'd just like to take a moment to say a huge thank you to everyone who has downloaded the podcast this season. It has had a huge increase in downloads, not only in Ireland, but right around the world, with big increases in America, Canada and Australia. And I really can't thank you enough for tuning in on a weekly basis. My thanks as well to Donal and all the team at BRB Homes for making this season possible. This week, I will speak to a lady who had to pack as much as she could in one suitcase and leave her country. She would leave everything behind, her friends, her family, her job, and everything she knows in search of safety. We'll hear how she made her way across the Ukraine with no help, no support, and not even a mobile phone for the most part of the journey. Due to recent protests in her community, she would rather remain anonymous, and for the purpose of this podcast, we will call her Tanya. Tanya is from the Ukraine and came to Ireland in March 2022 and I've asked Tanya to speak to me today about her experience coming to Ireland since the war started. Tanya, thanks a million for joining me and thanks for giving us your time.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Hi, Alan.
1: Um, Hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. So do you want to start by telling me a little bit about you and what you what you were doing before you came to Ireland?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I'm 37 years of age. I come from a typical Ukrainian family, I would say, a family of four people. So, I'm from a full family. I have my mom, my dad, and uh, one sibling, my younger brother. He's 31 years of age. So, he's military obliged. That's why he couldn't actually leave the country. And he doesn't want to do it in any kind of, like, the illegal way. So, he's staying put in Ukraine. And, you know... Uh, joining my parents in their journey because my parents wouldn't leave. They have never been abroad in their life. They don't speak a word of English, and they feel like no matter what is going on in their country, they have to be there unless it's that dangerous that they have to run for their life. Something to that.
1: What were you effect. doing? What were you doing before the war started? Then were you working in?
2: Yeah, I was working. So uh, actually, I was working in multiple capacities. My main job and my degree is in translation. So I'm a translator, actually technical translator, because I've graduated from Technical University of Ukraine. So I can do a little bit technical translation as well as the general one, right? Oral, like interpretation or written. And that's what I was doing for a while. But then I had multiple other jobs, uh, mostly working for international companies in Ukraine, in Kiev, based in Kiev. Um, Like, for example, one of the companies was hiring native English teachers uh, to teach English to Ukrainian kids and I was working for the Canadian guy who set up this business and I was basically the general manager there. So I did multiple jobs there. My last one was also teaching uh, English to Ukrainians and teaching Russian to English-speaking native teachers from the US, Canada, so I had a few students there.
1: How many languages can you speak?
2: So, basically, I'm fluent in uh, Ukrainian, Russian, English. I know a little bit of French. It was my minor at uh, university. And uh, I know some Latin because we did a course in Latin while at university, basically. And I've got master's.
1: How, what's the population of Kiev then before you left? What was the population?
2: Well, it depends on uh, whether you take it like the official figure or the actual one. I would say the official stands somewhere at 3 million people. But the reality is like 6 million perhaps because of a lot of internal migration. People rent apartments because it's the capital of the country. Everybody wants to move closer to, you know, better jobs, opportunities and stuff. So I would say pre-war the population of Kiev would be 6 million million people.
1: It must have been a huge culture shock moving then from a city of three million people to the west of Ireland.
2: Oh, yeah, that, that's true. But then again, um, prior to that, I had a huge shock of actually the actual war going on. And because I didn't leave on the first day of the war, I went through like a pretty tough, maybe three weeks of time, the most intense bombings on the city. So after that, that wasn't such a big shock to me. In fact, I really welcomed that tranquility and the environment of kind of rural part of Ireland because... There was just, it's such a different, you know, setting. But yeah, if you talk about, if we compare it to the pre-war living situation, it was a little bit of a shock. I'm like, I remember my first morning waking up uh, in Ireland because we arrived kind of like in the dead of night. It was 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. straight from the Dublin airport by the bus. So basically what happened is um, I wake up and the first thing I see is, Cows peacefully grazing (laughs) behind my window and I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, that kind of like surprise, not necessarily in a bad way. It's just so different from, you know, big city megapolis I came from. Yeah. But we giggled about it. It's like, wow, now we have this. It's a very different set.
1: The public transport here in the west of Ireland as well wouldn't be up to scratch.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... I I would call... If you ask me what my biggest challenge is in Ireland is uh, probably... The lack of car and driving license because, yeah, public transport is not as efficient. And I'm used to living in a big city where everything works like clockwork, you know, like metro, subway, buses, trolley buses, trams, all kinds of transport. And you can easily get to any part of the city, yeah. anywhere, you know. And here I'm kind of stuck. But on the bright side, I uh, tend to walk a lot here, which is good for my health, you know, fitness yeah. routine. So we do, if you see people walking along the highways, they are probably Ukrainians <laughs> with no cars. But,
1: um,
2: you know, it's oh. not like, I find it actually as a good thing. I didn't walk as much when in Kiev and I think lack of physical activity is also not a good thing.
1: Let's go back to when the war started then, you know, and when the bombing started. Were you given a heads up that it was going to happen or that it was, you know, that it was imminent or were you first informed when the bomb started landing?
2: Uh, We did have like rumors going on for a while, but actually by a while, I mean maybe years of time, because since their first wave of the war in the eastern part of Ukraine happened, everybody was on their hooks. Having said that, though, I didn't fully believe that it will be a full-scale, full-blown war going on in the capital of Ukraine, in Kiev, that soon. Yeah, there were kind of like warnings and rumors and some people believed it and actually lived the country i know a few people who lived the country maybe one or two weeks uh prior to war especially those people who worked for international companies and i have a lot because of my english i have a lot of friends from different from all over the world uh based in kiev at the time and basically what happened they were given uh the heads up and they Whoever felt threatened or kind of apprehended, you know, they left the country. Uh was not my case. And uh, actually, a few of, pe- uh, of people, they're my friends and also English teachers in Kiev, uh, they didn't leave. And they didn't leave until the first bombings occurred, like for real. And uh, I only started to believe in all of this when I heard the explosions on the early morning of, you know, February
1: 24th. Can you tell me a little bit about that morning? What's your first memory of that day?
2: Yeah, actually, I had a very late night that night. Uh, Normally, like, I'm a night owl anyways, and probably I was doing something. I was actually writing poetry. I like writing poetry, so I was, like, creating. I was doing something creative in my world, maybe having a glass of wine, and I went to bed at maybe around 1 a.m. or something and then after a few hours of sleep i was uh, like awoken by my roommate i used to share an apartment in kiev like a rental apartment uh, with the words war has started and i couldn't believe uh, first of all i was in a very hazy state because i only slept for like two three hours before the, the whole thing happened and i was in complete shock she actually had to Shook me by my shoulders really hard for for me to really, like, understand. Until it dawned upon me that what she's saying is true. It's no fantasy. I'm not dreaming. I'm not sleeping. It's the reality. And when I heard the first massive explosion behind my window, I understood she's right. And I just, yeah... Froze, perhaps, in panic. I was just, my mind was racing, but I didn't know where to start, what to do. I didn't have any kind of emergency suitcase that some people would have because they would listen to all these rumors and warnings about the war. I didn't have any because I didn't believe the war will start, basically would start, you know. So that's where I stood. I lived my normal life and then bomb explosions. And I had to decide it was 4 a.m., maybe closer to 5am in between 4 and 5am.
1: So your friend came into the room she started shaking you telling you the war had started was she was she in hysterics was she crying?
2: Uh, She wasn't crying but she was in a very uh, (laughs) bad mental place herself you could tell by her her voice was shaking you know she wasn't in a good place and yeah I, I could see it in her eyes basically that kind of fear and I had the same fear in my eyes five minutes later when i realized what she's saying is true
1: so what do you do at 4 o'clock in the morning when there's bombing in your city
2: yeah basically we decided to wash our clothes (laughs) I don't know why that was the first thing to do because probably we need to pack something and maybe there will be no water we just realized because of the bombings there may be no electricity in the nearest future no water no gas no god knows what we need to pack something so we did a little bit of washing at like 4 a.m. because it was still we still had water and uh, you know the pipes were intact at the time and after that uh basically i kind of mobilized myself i kind of take pride in that moment because normally i would be maybe a little bit nervous about like mundane life situation but when the real emergency came i kind of like managed to pull myself back together and do the right thing so i'm like we need to duct tape all the windows in the apartment because they say if there is an explosion uh, less glass or less wreckage will come into the apartment not that it helps you if your house is particularly like you know stricken probably not really but in case for example there is an impact in the, on the neighboring building right uh, basically what will happen is it will save you it will be a little bit less impact on your house basically so we did that And we did a really good job. Apart from this, I had a lot of glassware in my room. Like, you know, uh, different glasses. They were not even mine. It was from the landlord in the rental apartment. But I realized if it falls on my head like any time, that's gonna be bad and because it's so heavy and we couldn't move it or remove it or trash it anywhere basically we had to duct tape all of that too like cupboards with all the heavy glassware and everything that we felt like could fall On our head, you know, we tried to duct tape. That's the best we knew at the time. And then people started rushing to the shops, panic buying, and you couldn't withdraw cash anymore. Basically, you know, ATM machines weren't working, so people were in panic. They could probably use credit cards. They still could, but they depend on electricity. So if there is a blackout, your card doesn't work, and you can't really... Withdraw cash anymore. So whatever cash you were left with before war, that was all you had.
1: And until this day, you still haven't had access to your cash.
2: No, uh, now I I have. Okay. No, 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 But at the time, on the very first day, everything like stopped and froze. People were in panic. A lot of people were just flooding from the country, like in bulk. You know. So whoever uh, decided to to uh, to stay basically had a lot of troubles, like buying red water, panic buying and people just bought everything they could buy for maybe, I don't know, a year in advance. And that resulted in empty, completely empty shelves everywhere in supermarkets. You wouldn't believe it in 21st century if you think about it. Um, now I kind of uh, remember about it with understanding, but at the time it was just very, very scary. It and may- I decided that because I'm alone, come on, I don't have like a husband or a kid to feed I will survive. I will survive. I don't need that much food. So my priority and my focus was like the safety of my family, myself, obviously, and my family who uh, at the time were staying in a different city, my home city. There was a distance between us. So I couldn't really physically reach out to them.
1: How far away were the bombs when you first heard them? Were they in another village Uh, It
2: was the same city, just a different part of it. It's quite a big city, you know, six million people living in it. So you could still hear it because it's a bomb dropped on the same city. But it just uh, kind of like distant. But then again, there were small explosions right next to where we were. So we could clearly hear that. And it was going on all over the place. And I was torn torn apart like in between my city kiev and my home city where my parents and brother are and what i've noticed there was some sort of synchronicity between the bombings so i've noticed that maybe half half an hour time you know time slot in between bombings so if i have i think they started bombing uh my home city first and then 30 minutes later kiev would follow up like the bombings on Kiev, because we are, uh, like, relatively close. My home city is uh, something, I'd say, 50 miles away from from Kiev, the capital where I was. So it's not a big distance, really. And, uh, yeah, I've just noticed that it was 30 minutes apart, the bombings. So first I had to survive through knowing that my parents have survived that, that first one, and then I had to brace for my own one in my city. And that's how it went.
1: And were you in communication with your parents the first night? Did you call them? Or? Uh, yes,
2: uh, yes, but yeah, communication is a separate topic, In but it's just my personal story. Not everybody had it that way, but I was uh, particularly unfortunate to lose, not to lose, but to have my phone like broken, three days prior to the war the beginning of the war and because it was a brand new phone you know i gave it to their service center for them to fix it for free because it was on a three-year warranty and the phone was just three months old or something and they say yeah okay it's completely like this is a warranty case no problem we'll fix it for you but you have to wait for at least one week because there is a queue of People, you know, the same people, people like you waiting for their phones to be fixed. And I agreed and I thought it's kind of like silly to spend money on a new phone. I can survive without a phone for like a week, for for a week's time. Three days later, the war has started. I had no phone, no mobile phone. And that's how it went until I left the country. I couldn't get a phone anywhere. I had money to buy it say i had some savings so it was not about the money you just physically couldn't buy a phone anywhere all the stores that could sell something like this were closed and when you asked around i even asked uh all you know asked around from with the neighbors just please i actually pleaded with the neighbors could somebody borrow give sell for any money any kind of cell phone and nobody did so basically what happened um is I had to use my roommate's phone to call my parents to know if they're alive. And that was like everyday situation. Every day I didn't have a phone until I left the country, basically.
1: And why do you think no one would sell a phone or why? They would
2: hold on to things, uh, no, not knowing the uncertainty. It's like who knows? Maybe mine will break tomorrow, like yours did, and I have no connection. This is my backup phone. I I hold on to my backup phone, and they saw it in my eyes. I was like really in a bad place and like panicky. Please, maybe for one day, maybe I'll take, you know, a phone from someone else the next day. But nobody wanted to do that. I was fortunate enough to be sharing an apartment, so people in that apartment had phones, and they would borrow their phone, but just basically for emergency contact. So I couldn't really, you know, talk for hours because that's not my phone.
1: You know, during the pandemic here in Ireland, people became very close and people were helping people and anything we could do for our neighbours and anything we could do for the people in the village. When the war started, did you find people went very selfish then, the opposite to that, where they looked out? Yeah,
2: actually, I would call Ukrainians as a very hospitable, friendly nation as well. But under those circumstances, in those kind of like extreme circumstances, people start behaving in a different way. I could attest to it and I had another situation when I desperately, for the same reason, I didn't have a phone and I didn't catch the, a bit later, when I was trying to leave the country for the first time, I was trying to catch the evacuation train and the train never arrived. And it was in the dead of winter, the outside temperature, maybe sub-zero temperatures we are talking. I've been standing there for like six hours. I was completely frozen. I think I had whatever, you you know, frostbite, uh, like, definitely on my hands, but nobody would borrow a phone or would make a phone call to call me a taxi. I had money to pay for the taxi, I just didn't have a phone. And people would just be, you know, steering away from me, like, why are you asking for the phone? You're so weird. Everybody has a phone. I'm like, listen, I have a very, you know, objective story to tell why I don't have a phone, but I don't have a phone. And until uh, just one student looked at me and she's really in a bad place and he he asked uh, his mom to you know we just need we don't even need to give her the phone in her hands we'll just order a taxi and uh, give her the plate numbers you know that's what happened but people would be just i think people were just scared and shocked everybody was very scared and very shocked and they would hold on to uh, everything they have just in case
1: Uh, what happened when the evacuation train didn't arrive
2: basically i had to go back home and the problem is uh because we are divided like kiev is a large city divided by the Dnieper river so i was living on at the time i was living on the left bank of the river and all the train stations and the main like Transport hubs were on the right bank, and the problem with that because when the war starts, the first thing they do they kind of mine the bridges or they close the bridges or the uh, bridges can be even blown up by the Ukrainians to prevent the enemy, uh, you know, of taking uh, advancing in that direction and like having the control of the whole city. So what happened is it was almost impossible for me to get to the right right bank where all the trains are that I could get to uh, to somewhere safer. At the time, it was the western part of Ukraine. The western part of Ukraine was relatively safer. Not to tell that it was completely safe, but it was safer in comparison to, to Kiev.
1: How long from the first bomb until you got out?
2: Uh, I guess it was almost three weeks a little bit shy of three weeks of time and during that time I experienced for the first time in my life I experienced what it is like not to sleep for weeks on end like not even one minute because of all the adrenaline rushing you and because uh, most of the bombings occurred during nighttime. so basically they started bombing after midnight so you couldn't fall asleep or even close one of your eyes because you were so scared and when you heard all of the explosions their natural reaction to that was just you know fight or flight or do something or hide hide or fight or like do something about it uh hiding wasn't easy I did go to the basement one time. It was not really a bomb shelter, because people kind of generalize it and call it bomb shelters, but it's not. It's just something where you can keep your, something like a pantry, where you can keep your, I don't know, pickles, tomatoes and something. It's very dusty uh, there. There is no toilet, there is no heat, there is no nothing there. And it's not really equipped to accommodate any number of people especially like, uh, you know, at the same time and like a large number of people. Uh, so what happened, but people f- did feel that it's safer because we used to live in a tall building, like multi-storied building. So basically what happened is they felt safer in that kind of cellar cellar basement, but it has had only one entry exit, uh, which basically meant if there will be wreckage on the way, it will be like a, a mass grave. Uh, you know for people who are there because because it's not a real shelter you can't get out Uh, but it's still safer because when I was downstairs you know I heard kind of like the sounds of explosions uh, were muffled just because you are a bit underground and that's that was people's comfort But then it's really difficult to be there. I honestly, I'll tell you, I stayed there for maybe three hours, four hours of my life. And I said to myself, no matter what happens to me, even if I'm going to be dead tomorrow, Uh, I will never go back to that basement again, I just felt so bad there, so I came back to my apartment, my whole house, like many, many people, all my neighbors went downstairs one night, because it was really bad bombing there, and I was the only one who ventured out and said, okay, guys, I'm just going upstairs, no matter what happens to me, it's my responsibility they were looking at me as if I'm a dead person already, but I did it. And I felt psychologically much, much better. Uh, I just sat in the corner in a dark room. We couldn't uh, like use the lights, even if there was electricity, because uh, not to attract attention, because they could bomb to the lit up places, right? So basically, I was just sitting in the corner in the dark, on the floor, in the dark, cold room, no water, no gas, no nothing, no phone, no electricity, alone, but I was somehow feeling safer just because I didn't hear the cries of the people all around me or kids screaming or like people praying and stuff like this. So it was just psychologically more comforting for me.
1: What was going through your head when you were sitting in the corner there on your own?
2: I was... I think all the way through, I kind of wished I had a phone. <laughs> Never in my life did I depend on that piece of technology as much as I kind of craved for it at that moment, just because I have a lot of uh, friends all over the world. And even when it's nighttime in Ukraine, a lot of people would have a daytime in their part of the world and they were willing to talk to me and support me psychologically. But because I don't have a phone, I couldn't do that. So basically, I'm a very, like, I'm not. Not attack person like at all, but because of the circumstances, I kind of managed to install some I don't know some kind of a shady app that allowed me to at least kind of like chat on my uh, laptop with other people you know just sending messages and that's what saved me at the time they really like whoever had a daytime they took turns to to talk to me during especially during extreme bombings all i asked was just stay on the line that's it for for some time until maybe it's over or you know so they did and i'm really grateful and appreciative up to this day to all those people who supported me uh, at that time
1: So you were just talking to complete strangers around the world for comfort?
2: Uh, Yeah, kind of. Not complete strangers. They were my friends. So I knew them pre-war. They were not random, random strangers. Okay, okay. Kind of like my friends, but uh, distance, you know, distant friends.
1: They were in different parts of the world?
2: Different parts like Australia, New Zealand, you know, Canada, some of them like that.
1: And your parents must have been at their wit's end worrying about you if they weren't able to contact you.
2: Yeah, but I think I worried more about them. They were definitely worrying about me and I was definitely worried about them. I knew my brother is there because he's a male and he's close. I kind of felt... I found a little bit of a comfort in that fact that there is one family member who is there with my parents at the moment. But they, yeah, they were panicking and they were starting like, hey, maybe you can come to our home city. But that was already an impossibility. I couldn't even cross the, like, the bridge from one part of the same city, I mean, to another part. So if it was that easy, let alone, let alone, like, moving to another uh, town or city. I did try, though, once I did try and I failed because the uh, Bus driver kind of told me, "Sorry, impossible. They have just blown up the bridge in front of my, uh, in front of me. In fact, I can't even come to your part of Kiev. I'm sorry."
1: So you couldn't even get home?
2: I couldn't get home, so I never saw my parents. Um, after ukrainian christmas we are christian orthodox that's why our christmas still falls on like january 6 christmas eve and january 7 the christmas day so the last time i saw my parents was uh, on christmas day 2022 so that's january 7 2022 that was the last time up to this day because i i haven't you know visited them ever
1: since and you said earlier your, your hometown was about 50 miles away.
2: 50 miles away, yeah. So that's
1: like, in, just to put that into perspective for people in Ireland, that's from Castlebar to Galway. Yeah. And you weren't able of, to get home.
2: I think even even uh, closer.
1: And have you been on, do you speak on Skype or uh, FaceTime? Or? Uh,
2: yeah, sometimes we do FaceTime, but most of, uh, of the time we just do voice calls, to be honest. Okay. It's just psychologically hard. You st- when you see your parents and your brother you haven't seen in a year or more than a year, Actually, today it's kind of like one year, one month and 11 days. I haven't been home or seen them. So, yeah, I think it's just hard. Everybody starts crying. So I prefer voice calls, uh, even though I would hear in their voice if something bad is going on. And I had it on a few occasions. I could tell by my mom's voice, asking her how she's doing. I could tell something's going on there and I'm like mom you're not telling me something and then she goes yeah it's a massive attack right now but what is the point of like you will just be worrying and you cannot do anything about it we're just bracing so I'm like mom at least go to the basement to try to do the safest thing she's like yeah we'll try we'll try
1: when you came to Ireland first did you feel guilty that you're here and they're not
2: Yeah, there were thoughts like this, definitely. And I think uh, when my parents really realized that I broke the news to to them that probably it's just wiser for me to leave the country at the moment, they kind of supported me uh, at first. And then it probably dawned upon them that that means like, that's it. They're not going to see me for God knows how much time, you know. So at that point, my mom started come on but you won't see us are you serious now are you being serious I'm like yes I am the bridges are blown up you know I can't get to you guys I'm so sorry I have to live from where I am it's easier for me to live from Kiev and I can't get to the home city anyways uh it would be a different story if I had my own car but I've never had a car in my life and I relied on public transport in Kiev to commute you know so thats and I didn't have anybody with the car who'd, who could give me a lift there. I was going and to And it was you. dangerous. It was dangerous as well. There was no uh, one that would risk. Shootings on the way. People had to risk their life to do that for you. So even for money, you know, not many people are willing to do that, to be honest. That's how it happened. And yeah, I did feel guilty. But at the same time, I had the support of my younger brother. He was actually... Actually, to tell you the truth, I've never even considered going abroad. I've never lived or worked abroad in my life. And Ireland uh, is the most uh, is the first English-speaking country I've ever been to. So this is my first time ever living in a foreign country. Uh, I did travel outside of Ukraine, but that was like you know not not longer for two weeks at a time. Just different places as a for pleasure, you yeah. know, like like a tourists that's it i've never lived abroad for that long i've never i mean and uh, i've never worked abroad so it was a totally mind-blowing idea for me at the time but then when my brother called me and told me look kiev is going to be under siege there were like serious speculations about it like warnings like the warning before the war you know like kiev can be under siege any moment so i'm buying you a train ticket if you are not buying it you don't have a family you are not military obliged or conscripted like i am i have to to be here right uh you can't get to our hometown anyways to see the parents so what is the point of you staying there alone under bombs you haven't slept in two weeks and just staying put it just doesn't make sense you don't have anything that keeps you here in ukraine so you should leave you should leave and that kind of like changed my mind it was that breaking point for me when i realized he's probably right
1: what would it mean if your city was under siege
2: it would mean i couldn't leave at any point in time ever since it's uh, trapped, uh, there. trapped yeah it's completely trapped means uh possibly starvation because everything stops i know what it's like uh, because i have a roommate now who is from mariupol and she lost and mariupol was under siege so i know what it's like In hindsight though so basically everything stops there there is no water electricity food supplies nothing and people survive on sometimes melting snow and drinking that way there is no water or something it's also in the dead of winter so prospects were really really grim and gloomy you know there wasn't anything well and because it's the capital the suspicion was come on it's the capital they will try to go for the capital and to to get it under siege so he's like if you're not leaving now you may never be able to leave anymore
1: and until this day were they ever able to to capture the city
2: no not really it didn't happen thank god it didn't happen but nobody knew because it did happen to other cities in ukraine like mariupol
1: is your brother military trained
2: uh he's not you know the way it's uh, it's done in ukraine because at the time when he had to do military service he was uh, studying at university and in that case they do it kind of like simultaneously you know they have a course in military training which was ages ago he was i don't know 20 at the time now he's 31 so it was like a decade ago and it was very basic basically in reality they can't hold a rifle or they don't know how to shoot it. But they kind of, like, there was a tick there, okay, they did some training, they basically explained them the theory, but not the practice, they didn't even have enough, like, arms to give them like real things you know rifles so to
1: give to, to boys just explain this to me so everyone has to go through this course let's say it's a it's a course yeah. a military it's, course it's a
2: mandatory course yeah
1: every male is it has to go through it
2: yeah so my brother did go through it at what uh, age but 20 uh, like i think it was maybe even earlier like 18 years old maybe
1: and how does it work like is it the minute you get to that age you go through the yeah. course
2: once you're of that age uh if you are not like uh, studying anywhere, you are doing a full military, you go to the army for one or two years. But for those people who are like uh, students of their universities, for example, they don't want them to interrupt their studies for military service one or two years. They just allow them to do it kind of like, you know, a separate course merged together with other courses they are doing at university, but, the quali- but at the expense of the quality. Which so means, you know, they, they barely know how to do things.
1: Is it a given then if you're not in college, you're going to the army and that's it?
2: Uh, kind of, yeah. Kind of. You have to study somewhere or they are taking you to the army, yeah. At a certain age, it's a, an obligatory thing in Ukraine and, and what, I think in many countries.
1: What happens if you don't go?
2: Uh, you can go to prison. I believe you go to prison. I mean, if it's if everything is done according to the law, it is the case.
1: That's outrageous.
2: Unless you have some medical issues, you know, if you are, like, uh, deprived of this military service for whatever reason, uh, serious health conditions.
1: Can you make up a health condition to avoid it?
2: Well, not really, not that way. (laughs) No. I mean, they will check it. They will definitely check it. So is there anyone
1: like, like paying doctors to say that I have asthma? Or yeah,
2: bribery can, can exist. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say it doesn't. But <laughs> I, uh, I would pay a
1: doctor anything. I'd be like, here, tell yeah, me.
2: Yeah, but then again, it's like it can cannot be that everybody is doing this. I then know. then they will just, you know, it doesn't work like that anymore. So a certain amount, uh, certain number of people will probably do that way. My brother didn't. He did it the legal way. But as said say the training they got was really rudimentary if not non-existent in reality you know when it comes to real war they would be helpless they would be cannon fodder
1: do you know what your brother is doing now on a day-to-day basis
2: yeah he's actually very depressed i spoke to him on the phone um not so long ago and he went just i could hear by the sound of his voice he's different now and uh, he actually admitted i'm kind of like completely depressed here so he's not conscripted yet but he's on the list so in case something happens you know they kind of like uh they can tell him you you come with us you know so he's ready for that every moment of his life and then he's trying to continue working but his job was in uh, you know it's on an online business and because of all the blackouts in the country you know no electricity means no internet wi-fi router, nothing works so you cannot do your job and obviously half of the business went downhill because of the number of people who left the country so it's a struggle it's a struggle he makes his ends meet financially and i think for a young male who um, has no freedom to go outside of the country to do the job he would like to do because of the objective circumstances around it and also with the curfew uh, still in place every single day in ukraine meaning that you can't be outside in the street anywhere after 11 p.m uh up until five in the morning and that's going on for more than a year now. I think it started taking a toll on him in a way.
1: What's that for? Is that to stop looting and things like that? Yeah, or? I
2: think uh, they are trying to eliminate spies and people who can work uh, for, I don't know, Russian intelligence or something like this. So if you are found outside somewhere in the street during curfew, They have the legal right, like uh, the patrol, the police has the right to take you to the police station, question you, why you're outside, who are you, to check your identity, to do like everything. Because a lot of people turn out to be spies, yeah, that that is true, it's not groundless. So it also helps them to maybe demine some areas or to to do whatever they have to do during night time, so... Uh, not being afraid that, like, uh, people, civilians will be affected in any way. So they do it at night.
1: Is there a dole in Ukraine? Is there financial support from the government?
2: Uh, actually, you know, there is on paper, but it's very hard to get it in reality. For example, if you don't have a job, you have to prove, like, that you cannot do any type of job. And, like, it, it's it, there is a dole. It's very... Uh, like in terms of the amount, it's very little money uh, and it's very hard to get it. You need to have like, it's it's a lot of red tape. You need to get like a thousand papers to get the doll. So most people just give up on it, basically.
1: Have you any idea what the unemployment rate was generally in Ukraine before the war?
2: To be honest, not that I know the figure or the percentage, but now the figure must have, I don't know, know. quadrupled five times, ten times. But what
1: was your, you know, in your opinion, would most people have had a job?
2: So most people would be doing whoever has a university degree and the majority of Ukrainians have uh, university degrees, at least bachelor's. I would say the majority, even more than they have bachelor's degree, even more people have master's. So that would be some kind of office jobs, you know, not, not to say that there are no people who work in construction or something else, but, you know, we are not really... Recently, Ukraine hasn't been really an agricultural country. It was more like industrial country. A lot of guys... Ukraine was famous for IT people as well. So a lot of like tech-minded people were... Mm. And actually are up to this day Ukrainians, you know. So yeah, it's a big change that you just... um, All the jobs... Whatever uh, uh, foreign companies that were present in Ukraine pre-war basically just uh, maybe took their employees and you know, uh, relocated them elsewhere, like Germany or somewhere else, you know. So those people might uh, have retained their jobs. Others whose business was just in Ukraine, working for the Ukrainian economy per se, they are struggling, but most of the people... I think it's one of the major reasons why people are still staying in Ukraine, even women and families, because there is sort of a business that is still Somehow they can keep themselves afloat with this business. And, for example, if they go abroad and they they don't speak a language, they don't know much English, that would be a struggle for the whole, whole family.
1: What's the closest you've come to the war then? What's the worst you've seen with your own eyes?
2: Uh, the worst I've seen, uh, well, probably like all this, I don't know. It's hard to say that cellar will always stick on my mind for some reason. You know, people didn't have toilets, so there were buckets with urine there, and just this is what this was the reality of it. I didn't see really. If we are talking about myself personally, I didn't see wounded people or, for example, uh, dead people. I did see exploded like buildings and stuff. Uh, but in terms of people, the worst was probably... Uh, I personally knew a person who died during this time, but ironically not even from the bombings uh she was it was a woman a cancer patient and uh, it was just mind-blowing and shocking she died uh, because of her cancer condition she was kind of hooked up to a ventilator similar to how covid people were hooked up because it's a lung cancer but she was fighting for her life you know at that time for many many years and she was doing good they even gave her good you know uh prognosis for her condition. And then suddenly, because she's from a tiny village, um, very close to Kiev right they really uh smashed the whole village to the ground and what happened is because everything is smashed even though her building was intact uh the electricity there was a just a blackout there and because the ventilator is dependent on electricity and there was no generator or some kind of a backup power unit that could help her out she died because there was no supply from that ventilator And because it's a war, it's wartime, people could not even bury their relatives with dignity. So they had to just, her husband had to just, uh, who was staying by her side... Uh, throughout the whole bombing, never went to the basement because they couldn't kind of like move her to the basement. And she said, No, he said, No, I, I will stay by my wife's side no matter what happens. Everything around them was basically blown up. Somehow their building was intact, uh, but she dies because of a blackout, just electricity cut, you know. So it was very sad. And he was the only one who sole handedly dug, you know, the, the grave. And uh, had to bury her in a mm, black plastic rubbish bag because there are no coffins. Nothing works in the country. I knew them personally, and uh, that's probably my biggest, you know, impression about what what happened. So that's my. Kind of that that picture. I never saw them because they were not in Kiev, Kiev, right? But very close to it. But when I heard of what happened, and they were kind of close people, that really left an impact on me.
1: It's another part of the war that we never think about. We never think about people going through treatments and and having to go to hospital and day patients yeah. and we don't pregnant
2: th- women giving birth under the bombs you know or in there we have a lot of cases in the underground subway they're using so women are just giving birth in the subway on their ground like that because it's at least uh, the bomb will not kill them you know uh, so they they don't have the opportunity to to be delivered to the hospital, to be rushed to the hospital, or people like, yeah, in emergency cases, you know, wounded people, people with conditions, certain conditions. It was also a struggle to get any kind of uh, medications for people who are permanently on medications, life, you know, life or death medication. It, it was also a big issue.
1: How is this happening in 2023?
2: I have no idea. That's that surreality of it, that um, every day I was staying there, I felt like this is not happening to me. I really had this kind of like almost delusional state that this is not happening also aggravated by the fact that I didn't sleep for weeks on end and it was probably already like actually a delusional state in some at some point. So I couldn't sleep at all. And I didn't know up until that point that a human body actually can survive in that condition for a certain uh, amount of time. You know,
1: In your opinion and your knowledge, being a Ukrainian, what is the war about?
2: The war about I think it's very uh, it's about dominance I'd say it's about boosting someone's ego like the Russian president uh, it's about it's about power it's a power game in the world and I don't think Ukraine is the only country who is in this we are the only country who uh, that is in this i mean with the people in the land but it's going on the whole thing about it is the whole world is is different i think after that date february 24 people started thinking about things in a different way and i think it brought home to everybody but that whatever is going on in the world normally we are like but this is somewhere and i was like that myself a little bit because that's a normal human reaction if it's going on somewhere else like if there is some war going on in i don't know iran iraq or syria i really feel sorry for these people but it kind of like that distance you you distance yourself from what's going on and it's only when it's on your threshold that you really kind of like get this idea that no this is real this is happening and this can happen to anyone in the world today it's ukraine tomorrow you don't know what's going to happen you know because he was like the russian president was kind of uh, threatening to use nukes and it was another threat and i think if he would do that well, like uh, you know that would be the end of many countries not just ukraine what? so it's that realization we are all in danger here
1: What's your opinion of your own president?
2: Uh, Actually, uh, to tell you the truth, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for anybody. I just skipped the elections altogether. I had the choice to go there, but I didn't at the time. I was not sure who I want to uh, vote for. That's why I just chose not to go to, not to give my voice to anyone, right? But, and I was a little bit skeptical, to be honest, because our president is, you know, Uh, It's not a secret that he used to work as a stand-up comedian, and he was a really good one in that capacity. But nobody could ever imagine him in the president's role And especially after what has happened. And uh, I'd say everybody was uh, kind of shocked in a good way of how he handled the situation. I think most of the people have uh, like complete and utter admiration of him in his presidency, uh, because we would actually think look, he is a very new young president, you know, a former stand-up comedian, he would probably flee the country. That was like on the first day of the war, that's what the majority of people thought. It didn't happen, As and as we can see, he's there every single day, and he's doing better than maybe an ordinary person would do Uh, In his in the same circumstances, so I should give him credit for that personally now. Yeah, I
1: guess it's very hard to take a comedian serious and say that he's going to run our country the way we the way especially in war times. Yeah. So you're happy with his with his performance so far, let's just say.
2: Yeah, I'd say yes. Uh, It's not perfect but come on <laughs> under the, given the circumstances we are in this is probably the best a human being can do and of course he has support he's not alone there that's like
1: a huge force do you follow no, the politics before. on a daily basis not that much not that
2: much i stay to uh i try to stay updated on the like developments news of the world news in the country but mostly i even prefer to just read the news somewhere like in written form like you know news channels somewhere follow social media no i'm not really watching tv or like you know just follow the news on the internet somewhere Uh, it's just uh, you know not to see the picture of all the devastation going on it just makes me uh, a little bit calmer it's just objective when i see it in written form it's just objective facts and i need to know about them but i kind of like remove the emotional side of it up to this day it's very hard for me to watch the news from ukraine with with a picture with with video especially of explosions and um, areas of the city i knew or i lived in at the time so it was it's very hard to watch that a drone attack we had a drone attack on my home city one of these days it was a while ago a couple of months ago perhaps and uh, it was on the international news when my friends from like australia calling me and like hey we heard in the news your home city is under attack are your parents okay Uh, I was really shocked, like, because when it hit the international news, it has to be bad. So I'm calling my parents and nobody's picking up the phone, you know, and those were the hottest waiting moments in my life. Eventually, they were just away from the phone and they picked up and said, yeah, there were drone attacks, but we are okay. It's just uh, where your brother uh, lives. The house has no windows, but everything is okay." So it was really close to my brother's place. They live in de- in the same city, my parents and my brother, just uh, a little bit, like, away from each other. So it happened right next to where he lived, uh, to the extent that the neighboring building would have no windows as a result of the
1: impact. How often do you talk to your parents?
2: Every day, every, every day. single day. Yeah, mostly, like, at the end of the day, to tell some news uh, to have something to tell them basically how my day went. And they're really, really curious because they've never been kind of like that far in the world themselves. They're kind of very curious about my life and my lifestyle here. So in a good way, like, come on, it must be beautiful there. Send us some pictures, send us some video. How are the people? You know English. Do you have friends, local friends? And I can tell how they cling to this like idea of somebody being in the land of freedom, peaceful country and trying to make the most of it. And they're very, uh, probably looking back, they're very happy. I I decided to move out and at least somebody can be safe, you know.
1: To your parents, it looks like you're in the land of freedom. What does this land look like to you when you're here?
2: Well, it does look like a land of freedom to me. I don't know. I feel very... um, mm, calm and probably psychologically comfortable here. I do understand I'm away from my homeland, uh, which, of course, I I can be... Like, at times, I'm homesick. Uh, I miss cooking. (laughs) So, like, I miss my cuisine. Certain things, of course, if you... Lived your whole life in one place where you were born and uh, didn't venture out much. You know, it's like a big transition for you to be uh, somewhere else, elsewhere. But um, I'd say I'm enjoying it. I'm embracing it as much as I can because um, it's it's safe here. The pri- the first and foremost, it's safe here. And then I, because of probably my English. I can communicate with local people and I don't feel left out, I feel like I belong, I feel like people accept me, recognize me, I have friends here, I had Irish friends pre-war for many years, I knew some for like 15 years, I had one person I know. I've known for 15 years of my life, uh, Irish and they are good people, and I had this um, belief and faith in Irish people. That's one of the reasons I... That's the main reason I came here to Ireland, not some other country, because I knew people from here, and they were good people, and it gave me a little bit of a hope in case something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Those people will not leave me, uh, you know, in trouble. They would try to help me, and it was... Probably the sole, the sole reason why I came to Ireland, not other country. Some other people, they were hesitant. That's
1: nice to hear. It's nice to hear that you have that opinion of Irish people. Talk to me then about your journey to Ireland that day. So the very day you had your bags packed and you were leaving Ukraine, where were you going? Where was the first stop?
2: Yeah, I had to to go to get to Lviv. Lviv is uh, the city in the western part of Ukraine. At the time, it was relatively safe, even though there were like shell strike alerts there as well. Uh, but it wasn't uh, that much on the bombings as other parts of Ukraine. But when and, you say you
1: were going to Lviv, where, where, uh, were, where because were you going the border,
2: then? The Polish border was really close. So that, that was a transit hop to the Polish border then. And that was because uh, all their airports are not active during wartime, right? The only way you could uh, cross the country's border was by on foot or by bus or like alternative public, uh, alternative transport. So my priority at the time was taking their evacuation train to Lviv. And then from Lviv to cross somehow by bus or whatever other way uh, possible to cross the Polish border and from Poland because I I knew of Ryanair, Irish airline and they have multiple uh, flights to like Poland like there is a good connection between Poland and Ireland. That was my plan in my mind. Like I have to go to Poland and from Poland I have to fly out to Ireland.
1: So let's break it down. So the evacuation train brought you from Kiev to Lviv. Yeah, correct. And then you just get out and you're on your own, are you?
2: Yeah. Then uh, basically I had to find uh, a shelter for the night. I didn't have any... How do you find that? um, Just walking. (laughs) So just randomly trying all the places i had no idea where i'm going and remember i'm still without the phone so all this time i'm traveling by myself i'm a girl i'm carrying all my luggage that wasn't like a huge luggage but i tried to because i understood i'm probably leaving for a long time i true tried to pack the essentials there and i'm dragging it on after Several weeks not sleeping straight in half delusional state, not having a phone. And uh, the, my first attempt attempt on uh, of getting on evacuation train failed. I had to go back home, to call a taxi back mm-hmm. home, to spend the night at home under bombs again. And the next morning, try again. And the next morning, I succeeded. I got from point uh, A to point B, not without advantage, though, The taxi, I was going in to take me from where I lived in Kiev, from the left bank to the uh, right bank, through the bridges. Uh, There was one bridge left, one option left that could do me. The problem was uh, they shot at us while I was in the taxi. So the taxi driver who was taking me from my home to uh, like where the train station is, first of all, their taxi driver that should have taken maybe... uh, 20, okay, 30, 40 minutes top in normal peaceful times would take us six hours in the taxi uh, just to to move from point A to point B in the same city. Uh, and at the end of the trip, when we were crossing the bridge, there was gunfire open.
1: Who was to shooting it uh,
2: Not Not at us per se, but we heard it and it was pretty close to the extent that the taxi driver... Uh, told me to duck duck down because you hear he says gunfire duck down I don't know who was shooting to be honest I I have no idea I just heard gunshots and froze and just ducked and that's how we stayed until we got to the train station
1: how do you pay for a a taxi that takes six hours like did he charge you the normal fare Uh, no
2: it's never the normal fare so I basically gave a monthly uh, monthly salary to get from, uh, but that was, he was generous, so people would take more, Uh, considering that we were risking our life, the bridge was closed, we were circling for like six hours, I would say he was very generous, and I was very happy with him doing that, especially after the gunshots, and he's like, yeah, they're shooting.
1: Then, when you got your shelter the first night in Lviv,
2: yeah, I was just walking randomly half. I I was really scared at that point uh, I would lose consciousness because I, I felt very dizzy and disoriented. Uh, also, my train arrived at roughly... 4 a.m and because there was still a curfew until 5 a.m they wouldn't allow us to take shelter or get anywhere to warmth so we, we just stood on the platform it was again sub-zero temperatures with all the bags in half delusional state nobody slept for I don't know how many days and uh, what happened is eventually I had to survive that one hour and try to find a shelter and I couldn't and I didn't have a phone so Google Maps GPS um asking strangers nothing worked nobody knew everybody was kind of like i don't know i don't know get get out of my way everybody was rushing in their own thing so i was just walking 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 and probably god sent me a place it was like a temporary shelter organized in the yoga studio and they looked at me one look at me and they you you really look very bad okay we'll, we'll we'll give you a place on the mat on the floor somewhere at least it's it's warm there and that's how it happened. I'm very grateful to them. You I stayed wa- there for a couple of days. You just walked upon night. it? I just walked upon it randomly, yeah.
1: And you stayed there for a couple of days then? Yeah, you I got had a to good sleep.
2: because I had to figure out how to get to, our, to through the Polish border. And also I was scared. There were rumors at the time that, you know, some of their, like, buses that take you to Poland may be some shady buses and they might take women especially women with no kids or traveling by themselves to like i don't know prostitution or something i don't know if it's if it was true or not but it was enough to scare me you know and i was really cautiously choosing the bus i'm getting on to get through the border
1: how do you cautiously choose a a bus? (laughs) (laughs) i don't
2: know i just trust my intuition my guts and uh in my case what happened is Uh, A group of people use that bus service, that bus company kind of first, and they message me back, we are safely in Poland. That's how I knew you could trust that bus company. So it's try and error, I guess. So I kept in touch with, with people and they're like, okay, okay, they, they got us. We, we got through the Polish border.
1: That's insane. Like, that's another thing we don't even think about. So you're going from Lviv to Poland and you're worried that somebody might kidnap you. Yeah,
2: kidnap in a way because... Probably there were uh, there was a precedent or two. Not to say that it's, you know, uh, it's happened all so often, but probably there were a few precedents and people got panicky. Because when you're in this state, not sleeping after the bombings, all shocked, all torn apart, alone, with no phone, on top of that somebody's telling you you might get kidnapped, you became become almost paranoid, you know.
1: And I know this is a podcast, people can't see what you look like, but you're a really tall, good-looking attractive lady. Oh, thank you. With, with, with no kids. So if anyone was going to get kidnapped, you'd be top of the list.
2: Kind of, but I think it didn't even matter. Even women with children and uh, older women were scared for the same reason. It's just, God knows, human trafficking. What, what happens there? You know, maybe it's just illegal work, slavery of some sort. I don't know. Maybe some crazy idea came into people's minds because of how... How surreal everything was for us at the time.
1: Did you get to sleep in the... Was it a Pilates studio, you said? Uh, or a yoga, yoga studio. studio yoga yeah,
2: st- converted into a temporary shelter.
1: Did you get to sleep there and Actually, relax? Actually,
2: that was the first time I slept there. But prior to that, I had another story. I don't know, I don't know if you want to listen to it. I, but I want all <laughs> the stories.
1: I want all the stories. Tell them.
0: B or B homes make your dream home a reality. We do it all from start to finish. Your one stop shop to becoming a homeowner. Log on to brbhomes.ie. Yeah,
2: well, actually, my first day in Lviv was a little bit more adventurous than I would have expected it to be for some reason. So, I did, uh, when I did get there, it was so warm there with like maybe a um, couple of hundreds of other people like myself all in one room in that yoga studio. It's like a big gym with mirrors, basically. Uh, But I was so happy to get there because it was warm. All I wanted is warm. I was kind of like frostbitten at the time. And uh, yeah, they even gave me hot food and tea. And that was all I needed. And I think I dozed off for an hour or two, despite the crazy noise. It was morning. People were getting up, doing their thing. It was all their, you know, uh, hustle and bustle around me. But I still... Uh, felt like I want to sleep I just crashed there I was so exhausted so I just don't remember how but I woke up maybe one or two hours later I realized I need to do something I need to have a plan I need to move from there somewhere and I started like uh first thing I did I actually went to the stores to see if I can get a phone there And actually, yeah, when I told you until I left Ukraine, that's not really correct. When I left, until I left Kiev, I didn't have a phone. Finally, I got it in Lviv. They did because it was relatively safer. There some shops, some stores uh, that sold, you know, uh, different kinds of like uh, technology. technology. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, they still worked there. So basically, when I see from there, like, I do a little bit of window shopping and I see there are phones and I could see them through the window of that shop. I couldn't be any happier at that moment. So I'm walking in and the first thing their shop assistant is looking at me like... You, you you look like you need to sit down right now and I'll make you a cup of tea. I didn't even say a word, you know. I looked that bad perhaps at that time. She's like, you look like you're going to faint or you're a ghost or you're going to die. We don't need a that person on our doorstep, you know. So she made me a cup of tea and asked me what I needed. And I said, I have no phone, I need a phone. So uh, I bought a phone from them. They made sure they charged it for me. And I probably spent a good couple of hours there drinking tea and she said if you are comfortable just sitting there drinking your tea while your phone is being you know charged please do because you look bad and uh, like maybe you need this time and you can just watch us work like there were customers going in and out of the house and uh, yeah i got my phone (laughs) that was like wow wow wow, i can't over you know um like it's underestimated how you feel uh, at moments like this in your life. And uh, then basically, I walked out, was very happy, and I met like there was a man. So, people are walking in, it's a busy morning kind of in Lviv, and one of the men is following me, following me in the street. And I'm only, I left my luggage behind in the yoga studio, at the yoga studio. Only The only thing I had, but I did have a backpack with me because I kind of, like, uh, didn't trust them to, to, for example, to leave my laptop up there. That's the only valuable thing I had because I didn't have a phone. Basically, nothing else was any value. It's just clothes. So I decided to take a laptop in my backpack with me, uh, and I was moving. But somehow, probably, again, the way I looked... uh, caught his eye or his attention and he started talking to me like, hey, you look like you're not local or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm not local. I came by evacuation train from uh, from Kiev, right? And uh, he's talking, I think, like, it's a bit weird. What, you know, what kind of person off. is he? It's what like are... a man in his, judging by his looks, maybe in his 60s, late 60s. Was maybe, he well-dressed? He's like okay he he wasn't like a homeless person he doesn't look like uh, didn't look like a homeless person or anything wasn't didn't look like he's a wealthy man either it's just a normal regular per- older person uh quite tall though and what kind of like surprised me he was speaking with me in russian not in ukrainian so for you guys to understand we are bilingual people most of the people in ukraine can speak both ukrainian and russian because of the former soviet union and stuff right and i still personally to be honest i still kind of used russian in my at least pre-war in my daily communication because my parents are also kind of uh, bilingual so my my dad would speak russian to me in my when i was growing up in my family and my mom was from their rural areas and she would speak ukrainian with me so that's why i'm so good at both because they kept switching from the language to language. Uh, but for that part of Ukraine, Lviv is a very, very Ukrainian-oriented city, and for them, like, that that should be a huge, massive, giant red flag for me that it's, something is wrong here. The person speak, saying that he's local, speaking Russian with me in the Ukrainian-Ukrainian city, you know, something is off here. But because I was, in, you know, in that kind of physical and mental exhaustion stayed i kind of like i i recorded it i'm like okay i put a tick in my mind but i didn't make much of it and he would follow me and follow me and like should i help you carry your back i'm like I've, i'm fine you didn't see me before i was dragging all this luggage for like days without sleep now i'm only with a light backpack like I, i'm okay thank you uh but he w- wouldn't like leave me eventually he's like you know what like don't take it the wrong way but i'm a local person i have an apartment here in like whatever he said was 20 minutes ride, like by public transport from where you are standing right now and me and my wife we are just an elderly couple we have grown-up kids they're not living with us and we just feel so sorry and so bad for you people having to flee in that those parts of ukraine that were mostly affected you know that um, i feel like i want to offer you an accommodation at least for one night because i i'm i don't know i'm leaving tomorrow but you can stay for one night today i'll give you hot meal there will be hot shower because i'm sure that's they won't give you at the yoga studio. That was true. They could give me like hot tea and hot meal. There was no shower at the yoga studio. So yeah, and it was rough because like 300 people sleeping on the floor on basically yoga mats, you know. Uh, so I, but I was still baffled. Like he just approaches me on the street saying this, targeting me, kind of like he was following me for a while. I don't know. I, I told him, look, I'm, I'm going to give it some thinking i'll like i'll think about it i don't know but my stuff is all in at yoga studio right now and i'm kind of based there so in any case if i make any decision that's not right now okay and he was happy with that he says okay here you go look i'll just give you my phone number and if you change your mind or you decide to take my offer and like have a hot meal and a conversation and like use my hospitality, you're very welcome, here is my phone, here is my name, and me and my wife will be waiting for you there. And he looked like, you know, older person, so I kind of like, maybe he's like, well, what what is, he's like, there can't be any wrong intentions, really, even though my intuition told me otherwise, kind of. I was so happy with the phone that I forgot about the man completely, for a couple of hours, I installed all the apps. I tried to download everything to restore my contact book, Gmail account, everything, you know. I was so bu- busy and happy with that. I'm making a call from my own phone finally to my mom for the first time in like a month. And I'm so happy and they say we are okay uh, and everybody's safe and how are you and I got and everything. Uh, and eventually, I don't know what was the my thinking at the time, my reasoning. I probably I really craved a real bed Uh, because even in ukraine we didn't sleep in our beds you know when there were bombings we basically slept in all our winter gear on the doormat if we slept is a (laughs) is a kind of like quote-unquote like sat there for the night so i just forgot how it felt like to just be in the bed and like in a warm place where no rockets or missiles you know without that fear and i Pro- at that point I decided okay I'll try maybe I'll stay one night with that man and his family like whatever they seem like to be decent people. it's strange that he's talking Russian and he was kind of following me but maybe maybe I'm just you know too much going on and I'm just overwhelmed with all of these emotions and imagining things that are not there. So basically he said okay I called him I gave him a call he would he said he will pick me up because I have luggage he will ha- help. Carry the luggage and everything, and I thought that would mean that he would come by his car, but it didn't. Eventually, he came uh, to me by the public transport. He took a trolley bus or like a bus uh, to help me. I found that very suspicious as well. I mean, why would you even help me if you need to take uh, public transport, anyways? But he would help me carry the bags and everything. We were in a crowded bus. And I was, I just remember kind of like trying, because it's a city I don't know at all, trying to understand where I am and where I am going and what part of city I am in. Because this is all very sketchy. I'm alone and I'm coming to a stranger's kind of house. And God knows what was going to happen after that. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out where I am while we are moving. Uh, then we are finally walking towards the building where he lives. He says it's the first floor. This is this building, and I just remember myself, just taking mental note of a plate with the number of z- of the street and the building we are. Did at you right tell now.
1: anyone where you were going? At that point, no, oh my that's,
2: God. <laughs> that's the scariest thing, Crazy. that's the scariest part of it all, I didn't, and I don't know why I didn't, it was also, I had to make decisions very quickly because of the curfew, uh, With the, at that time the curfew was not from 11pm, it was maybe starting from 6pm, very, very early, because it was early days and active bombings, So I realized I have very little time. If I have to make the move, I have to make the move now. And I don't have much time to call everybody and uh, tell everything, you know. So basically, by the time we got to his apartment, it was already like dusk, you know, dusk, almost like it's getting dark, really. And I'm a little bit, you know, scared at the time, I don't know, I I had this intuitive gut feeling something is not right here, I don't know why. And uh, he opens the front door, so it's a tall building. Uh, several entrances to the building, and we are. I'm trying to mentally understand which entrance we are taking right now, what will be the number of his apartment, what will be the number of the street. And luckily, I've got a phone now, so I was clinging to that hope. And as he's unlocking his own door, and I'm at least expecting to see his vi- uh, wife because that's what he promised me there will be a wife and a hot meal, like pancakes or something, waiting for you. He's unlocking doors, and I realized it's like. Three doors or four doors, one behind the other, behind the other, and keys used for each and every one of those doors. And I start kind of panicking. I-, I was panicking at the moment. I'm like, too many doors? Why do you need that many doors in your apartment? You know? He's like, oh, you know, it's the first floor. Some robbers can break into the house. You know, it's not safe because it's kind of like you can break through the window, for example and that's for the same very reason people have kind of like bars on their windows uh, for people for robbers or potential like criminals not to break into the house but i really have a very bad feeling at this time and so bad that i don't know if i should kind of like you know cross his threshold so i'm standing there i don't exactly know where i am but i've remembered the name the the name of the street the name of the the number of the apartment i'm still hesitant i carry those bags to me that's all i have my phone is in my hand and uh, i see too many doors opened up and eventually i'm in this situation like i have to to make the decision and quicker he's like looking at me so here where i live so eventually i stepped over and those all of those doors were locked behind me on multiple, you know, locks. And uh, that was pretty scary. Uh, At that point, I was already, like, pumping with adrenaline, I think. Like, the highest level. Higher than what I felt on the bombings. And when I was calling my parents if they're alive or not, even higher than that. So I'm completely panicky. And I see, uh, first thing I ask, where is your wife? And he says, there is no wife. (laughs) At this point, it's, yeah, it really, it sounds like a scene from a movie, but it's a real story. There is no wife. Uh, And I realize I'm alone with this man locked up in this apartment in Lviv. Nobody knows where I am because I um, hadn't told anyone because I was pressed for time. And uh, the first thing, he said to me, I'm gonna take a shower, that was shocking, like, shower, you could have taken a shower while I was not there, I don't know, something, things didn't match up, like, at all, and eventually, what happened was, he did go, he did take a shower, and I used this time, he showed me, as if, like, my room, where I was going to stay until the morning light, and uh, uh, I used that time to call everyone I know, including my parents, saying my location, like where I am, and leave this this street. You know, sending them Google uh, location, like uh, the pin where I am, and. Uh... I've never done it in my life like because I normally I wouldn't you know worry uh, make my parents worry unless it's something critical so I felt it's something critical I called my mom and like listen to me attentively I don't have much time I am at this address right now and if I don't call you back in about 30 40 minutes call the police in Lviv to that address and my mom for you to understand she has survived a head stroke so she's the last person i want to make worried about me but i was so panicky i did it i called and i told her look you you have to do this because i feel like i'm in trouble or i'm in danger or something is going to happen here i don't know i am and i'm telling her the whole story i went with this sketchy person i don't know who he is there is no wife now i'm locked up behind like three doors in this apartment and i uh, on the first floor there are bars on the windows on every window I don't feel safe like at all and uh, I came here in hopes of like you know one night's sleep I wouldn't be able to close even one eye here in this apartment I need to get out of here as soon as possible I don't care where I'll be even if I sleep on the street you know. I called everyone I called also my best friend luckily everybody picked up the phone and they knew where I'm at. As he got out of the shower I kind of like... He didn't even notice that I called someone. But he started asking me questions like, Are you married? Do you have kids?
1: When he came out of the shower, he had his clothes on. He, yeah. He like a walking.
2: bathrobe. But yeah. A clothes bathrobe. On, a
1: bathrobe. Oh, yeah. Another red flag. Okay.
2: Yeah. That that didn't sit right with me. And I'm like, oh, no. All right all right and he's like so i'm cooking a dinner i'm like yeah maybe i'm not that hungry you know and he started asking all these questions like are you married and then the huge huge red flag question does anybody know you're here and i'm like oh my god this is not happening to me you know right now this is all just a dream I'm like, but I had to pull myself together and I'm like, okay, you're asking this, so I'll tell you. I'm like, yes, everybody knows I'm here. I just called my mom. I just called my friend. I called everybody I know, gave them your address, your street name, the exact address. They know where I am. So yes, everybody knows where I am. At that point, he kind of like changed, you know, in, th- in the face. Uh, he didn't realize that could have happened. And like, all right and why is that i'm like because i'm talking to my friends and my family they need to know where i am you know i'm alone in your apartment you told me there will be wife and like a dinner there is no dinner there is no wife you went to take a shower and this is all very strange and we are behind i don't know how many doors and uh, locked doors and stuff anyways he started picking up on cues that i am uh I'm very stressed, I'm nervous, and he understands exactly what's going on through my mind, that I'm locked, that he's some sort of a maniac, or I don't know, serial killer or something, and I'm I'm totally, and he's looking at me, and like, I can see how scared you are right now, you're very, very scared, and I'm like, yes, I'm very, very scared, does that make you happy? He's like, But there is no reason to be scared. I'm a decent person, you know. But that doesn't help, obviously. That didn't help me at all. And I'm pleading with him, like, get me out. Like, just open, unlock all of the doors right now. I don't need any supper. I don't need anything. I just want to get out of this apartment. And he wouldn't. And we would have this argument for, like, I don't know, half an hour. And I would uh, find, uh, try to uh, make up any reason for me to get out. And uh, the point where he did unlock the doors was when I told him I will leave everything I have, including my laptop, behind in his apartment. I'll just take myself, just me and my phone, and I get out and I buy a bottle of water for myself because I have a panic attack right now. That's what I told him. And even though he uh, he told me, like, I have plenty of water at home... uh, he still kind of like decided to let me out because probably because he was so sure I would uh, need my bags and all my luggage because I left it all behind in his apartment. But as soon as I was out of the apartment, I forgot about the luggage. I understand I need to take it somehow, but I'm so happy I'm out. I understand I will never get back to that apartment alone anymore. I need to find somebody now. I don't know whom, who will help me retrieve my luggage from there or something. So I see a couple of like young, a few young guys uh, doing the patrol. So this is, there was a new role introduced in Ukraine. Uh, So there were people attached to every tall building, tall house, right? multi-storied building to do the checkups on people who go in and out. Uh, Also probably uh, to try and spot spies or like some kind of like, you know shady behavior of people and things like this they asked me for my id all my documents luckily they were all with me in a tiny like uh you know bag, like a purse i had on me and i showed and they checked everything like yeah she sounds like she can speak fluent ukrainian she has a ukrainian passport she looks very scared like scared Probably she's she's okay. She's okay, okay. What's your issue? And I'm telling them, Hello, this is this person, like next the next building. He lives in that house, you know, and uh, this is my story. I told the whole story. They are like, Look, but we are on patrol, we can't leave the perimeter of the house, okay? But one uh, one of the girls told me, look, I have a an older brother. I'll just call my brother and ask him, he's a tall guy, and I'll ask him to go with you and try to retrieve your luggage. And if something, we'll call the police because we're here and he's my brother. That's what happened. And when we, like, ran the doorbell, um, there was silence for a very long time. I think what happens, he was uh, looking in there what's you call the thing that you can look who is there the behind eye the hole. door uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's theme. eye hole. yeah and uh, i think he was kind of collecting his mind what he's going to say or what he's going to do or i don't know there was a very very long pause eventually he opens the door and there is me and this luckily tall guy uh and uh, we're just asking him for my stuff back that's it we don't need to ask any questions i'm not blaming him in anything i'm just just give me my stuff back that's all i need and surprisingly he switches to ukrainian language very broken ukrainian you can tell it's not the language he's used to speak unlike me because i'm switching easily i have no accent or anything he had Heavy accent speaking Ukrainian, but he was trying. He was probably scared they will call the police on him or something to that effect, and it's war time and he didn't want to have any trouble. Anyways, he um, gave all the stuff back, and I was out of that trouble uh then that guy was so kind as to help me get back to the yoga studio he he looked at me he's like you you look so bad so scared how can i help you i'm like i need to stay somewhere for the night so i came from this yoga studio could you please like because i don't know the city and it's getting dark it's already past curfew time i don't know if i can hop on any bus and like go there and he even put me on the bus he walked me helped me with the back walked me to the bus and that's how i got back to the yoga studio they're looking at me like but you told me you're not staying for the night i'm like guys things have changed i need a place for the night please and they're like okay you're lucky there is one place you can stay there because it's so crowded people are pleading like every hour they have a new person coming in uh, asking for shelter you know.
1: What do you think the story was with that guy? Do you think- to be
2: honest, up to this day, I don't know. I only have the very... I normally trust my intuition a lot because I, I've never had such a crazy adrenaline rush in my entire life.
1: Do you, th- do you think was he a spy?
2: I don't know. But uh, what I noticed in his apartment while I was walking through to my room was all the uh, photos of him, obviously younger... On the walls and military uniform there that freaked me out of my mind do you know what military no idea soviet Mm -hmm. union judging by his age you know considering his age it could be like when we were all soviet union times which means you know moscow russia all of these things i don't know but i cannot tell for sure i just had a very very bad feeling about it after all but i'm so happy i got out of there
1: and did you ever tell anyone about him? Did you ever... Yeah, re- did you ever, my, my parents no, did story. No, did you ever report him to anybody? Uh, no,
2: report, no, no, not really. It wasn't my priority. And, I, know, uh, I know, I first know. First of all, I didn't know if it was just my imagination, my sick mind after not sleeping for weeks, or it was the reality, but... There's so
1: much information to process there, but between the speaking Russian to you, and, you know, and being over in the, the west of the county country, where yeah. you wouldn't be the west of the country where you wouldn't normally sp- be speaking russian telling you that his wife was going to be there then the three doors this guy sounds like either
2: bars on the window too too much coincidence there not to smell a rat something is off
1: he's either a spy or a murderer
2: <laughs> yeah one of the two one or the other so or what both. a lucky escape yeah i had
1: what's next you go from the yoga studio then where's your next
2: yeah after that I try to figure out the what which bus I'm going to take to cross the Polish border and my concern was Prostitution, whatever kidnapping thing, right? Not to get myself into that. After that, like man's apartment and all that is going on. Also, there was a girl, uh, currently my roommate, and uh, right, who is traveling with me. We got acquainted in this Lviv. Uh, She's your roommate facility. now in Ireland. Yes, yes, oh, okay. Yes. So she basically kind of like stuck with me. She didn't know exactly where she wants to go. But she also wanted to go somewhere abroad. She says, my English is like average, not so good. Uh, I don't have any kind of many friends abroad or somebody I know that I can go to that country because I know somebody from that country. But then uh, she spotted me uh, sitting on the sofa and talking to someone who is asking me, what's your plan? Like people were so lost. Basically, people, even family people, like grown men with wives and children, were so kind of panicky and they didn't know where to go. And they asked just like that, could you tell me where to go? I'm like this is your decision i can't make that decision for you and your kids come on but they are like do you know where you want to go i'm like i want to go to ireland they're like ireland we don't speak any english no something closer you know people were very very lost but basically like ireland didn't excite anyone because of the english barrier and probably a bit further away than for for example Poland, and czech republic and all these countries but one girl like kind of heard what i am saying and asking me that that is my roommate now right she's asking me why island i'm like i know i have a couple of very good friends there and they said it's okay if you are in the country we'll, we'll give you a hand we'll help you somehow she saw that i had a plan she didn't have that plan but i had a plan she's like you look like a person who has a plan and i trust you because i don't have i have no clue where to go myself and i'm not that confident going myself and now you Speak fluent English. I'll stick with you. That's how we ended up in Ireland. Just the two of us. All the other people went elsewhere.
1: So you went from Poland, then you flew into Dublin.
2: Yeah, we flew into Dublin, but uh, Poland hosted us for, that was another story, hosted us for nearly probably two or three weeks Polish people were so good to us that we actually uh, kind of exchanged our plane tickets twice because they begged us to stay and spend more time with them. Loveliest, sweetest people I've ever met. Uh, That was my first time in Poland, you know, and they just also completely for free just hosted us in their own house loveliest kindest people up to this day we keep in touch i send them a christmas parcel oh, and uh nice. yeah it, it's very nice
1: and when you got to dublin then where did you go
2: uh to Do- when we got to dublin basically we had to uh, register at the airport they took our uh, i mean they kind of like registered us somewhere with filled in a few forms there and they they told you us register okay, as a refugee, uh,
1: refugee no uh a... we
2: it's a bit of a different status so now it's it's called temporary protection it's quite different for example under temporary protection you have the right to work and basically you have temporarily you have the same rights as irish people whilst uh refugees they can't uh, work for the first half a year and uh, their passports are taken from them we still have our passports and we have the right to work so it's it's a different, legal, legally speaking, it's a different status that okay. we got in Dublin. So uh, after that, they told us, okay, guys, so I think uh, we have one place where you can go head for the night today. But uh, normally there would be a choice. But on that very uh, night, when we flew uh, in, there was no choice. So they told us and that's how we ended up where we ended up.
1: So you land at the airport and you say, hi, I'm from Ukraine. Yeah, you yeah, fill out those they had, forms.
2: Uh, at that po- uh, point in time, they already had come, kind of like have developed a system how to approach Ukrainians. Right. Yeah. But it was still kind of like early on. It was March 20. So that uh, night they when put, I arrived,
1: they put you on a on a bus. On a bus. And uh, sent you to where you're staying to now. to where
2: I'm staying now. Yeah.
1: So you've been there since March 2022. Yeah. And it's now mid-February 2023. Yeah. And it's
2: going to be a year soon enough.
1: And it's a fair old distance from Dublin airport. So you were on a bus for a good few hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you got there, was it nighttime, daytime?
2: It was nighttime around 1 a.m., if I'm not mistaken. 1 or 2 a.m.
1: Was the bus full of other people?
2: Yeah, it was full of other... I wouldn't say it was a full, full bus. It wasn't like that many people at the very beginning. Mm. But then more people would start coming in. So I would say we were the first arrivals there, yeah.
1: That's really interesting. So you're on this bus, you're driving for hours through the night, and then you land at your destination, and you check in. What's yeah. What's it like? Where Where you? It was like
2: in? a hotel. You know, the reception. We just checked in. They gave us our room. They asked how we want to leave. At that point, we didn't know. Uh, they asked you what? Sorry.
1: Sorry. What did you say? They asked you.
2: Yeah, they asked about like, uh, did you come here alone? Who do you want to live with? Oh, I understand Or, for that, example, yeah. if you are by yourself, you should declare that you are by yourself. And I was hesitant at that point because kind of the person I met, I just met a couple of days ago or yeah. weeks ago. Okay, because we did stay in Poland for a while. But essentially, she's a stranger to me. And I just arrived. Kind of, we flew in together, but I didn't know her pre-war or anything. It's not my friend. But then we reckoned, okay, at least we know uh, each other a little bit. So they basically tried to team people up so that, that more nice. people, yeah, could yeah. could fit in, right? So we shared. We decided to share the room.
1: And how many is it? All Ukrainian people here
2: at that point in time. It was just Ukrainian people. Just the Ukrainian. Roughly people, yeah. how
1: many? Roughly. Is there a hundred?
2: I can't. No, I think less than that. Less. Less. The first wave wasn't that that huge, right? But then more people came in, came in and yeah.
1: And do you remember the, say, the first morning you came down? It was
2: pre, like, you know, uh, pre-City West times. There was no City West at the time. So they put placed people directly somewhere because there was no hop that could like redirect them or like temporary So you're lucky in
1: a way you got in ahead of everybody. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. kind of, yeah. That's good. And so can you remember coming down the next morning then and finding your bearings and looking around to see what this place looked like and where you were?
2: Yeah, well, as I say, I was very, as I said, I was very surprised to see the cows grazing peacefully (laughs) behind my window in the morning. I'm like, how nice. And then like, Interesting. Helen, where are we? <laughs>
1: and was there someone to meet you then and integrate you into the community? Like, was there somebody there to say this is where you go for X, uh, Y and Z? Or
2: Actually, yes. But mostly uh, they had a manager at the hotel there. They also assigned later on, they assigned a Ukrainian manager who took care of things like this. Yeah. And there were a couple of volunteers coming in and out. And local people would interact with them first and then through them with us. That's like, brilliant. Yeah. So
1: they hired a Ukrainian manager.
2: They did. To look yeah. after your center. Yes, yes, yes. That's really good. Yeah, well, it was. there was a need for it. And yeah. then the whole, like, th- more people were coming in. So we understood there is the whole Ukrainian community there. Mm. So it would only make sense. But uh, there were, like, uh, the superior, like, senior management was uh, not... Ukrainian, okay, but uh, Ukrainian people were the immediate uh, supervisor.
1: And how did you feel then in the first couple of days? Were you happy with the accommodation? Do you like your yeah? Actually,
2: we, we liked everything. It was quite a it is quite a spacious um, room. Yeah, I'm staying. No, it's just okay. a room
1: and a bathroom. It's you don't, a you don't room have a kitchen. and a bathroom.
2: No kitchen. Yeah, that's that's a
1: sore point for me. That's that's a really <gasps> difficult thing. Like if you know, and that's another thing, Irish people. I don't think consider. Imagine living in a hotel room for over a year. Yeah. Where you don't, you can't just, it's not that easy just to go in and make yourself a toasted sandwich or to.
2: It's not at all. We do have an electric kettle, so I can definitely make myself a cup of tea, but no fridge. no, No fridge. No fridge. No. And so, how do you even
1: keep a litre of milk? You can't then, like you.
2: Sometimes we do it behind the window, you know, when the weather is chilly enough, <laughs> it's just on the window ceiling, you know, from the outside.
1: You leave your milk on the windowsill?
2: Kind of, yeah.
1: That's outrageous that you have to do that. Uh, do you have a community Now
2: we do have, area. to be fair, now we do have a common fridge, but it's one fridge for everyone in their vicinity, you know? Oh, so it's sure, just one for everyone. But you can still squeeze something in. There is some space there. And can you trust that time. it'll be
1: there when you go back?
2: Uh, once I came back, it was not there. Yeah. But then it just happened to me once. Other times it was okay. So you have to trust this. Okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> in general, are you happy with your location your accommodation yeah
2: uh, in general i'm quite happy i find probably the main factors for me are people like local irish people i like the culture the i admire everything it's my first time in an english-speaking country in my life and i just embraced it and i was so happy that i could interact with someone and people were very curious in a good way about us and tried to help to help us out any way possible people People would stop in the street and ask us, oh, are you from Ukraine? Do you need anything? There was a lady who offered us, you know, bikes or would try to get us bikes. And uh, she would visit me on uh, multiple occasions. And uh, we would talk to her and she would introduce me to her daughter. Like, lovely. People are very helpful, you know, helpful and friendly. And they really felt for us and expressed confession. And I remember... When we walked into the the Irish pub for the first time in our <laughs> life, I still remember this. There was a. Uh female bartender there and uh, she would look at me oh you look uh, you look different where are you from and i'm like we are from ukraine i was uh, me and my friend right yeah. she's like from ukraine really i'm so sorry about what's happening there guys and i remember how i got my first ever pint of guinness in ireland for free she says it's on the house from me and that's i felt really really welcomed here
1: that's a lovely yeah. story And do you still go to that pub?
2: Yeah, I still go to that pub up to this day. And they still say hello. And now they don't look like I'm a stranger. They look like, oh, we know this girl. Come on in. And I know a lot of frequenters too. So I talk to people. I think English is the key here.
1: Do you have your own chair in that pub?
2: Uh, Not really, no. no. I didn't didn't upgrade to that level yet. I didn't know you can do that. Yeah,
1: sometimes. But but you must have seen it. You must have seen a particular... Like there's one character in every pub... Who has his own spot. Yes. Have you spotted that?
2: I did see that, but I didn't know it's like really their spot. So if you're
1: in Jimmy's seat and Jimmy comes in and he's on the way home from work, well, then you have to get out of Jimmy's seat.
2: All right. right. Jimmy
1: wants that pint after work. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a lovely story. So then you're one of the first ones to have come in then to this facility. And then the next wave of people then that came in, they're not from the Ukraine.
2: Yeah, it was way later though. So there was some time where we uh, settled down just the Ukrainians. And there were certain like things, you know, a lot of people in one enclosed area. So Ukrainians we were interacting with Ukrainians and we were resolving all the internal issues with Ukrainians.
1: How was that?
2: Uh, it was like a little bit maybe brittle at the beginning. But then everybody kind of like calmed down and everybody became so smooth. And we kind of like almost felt like we are one big family so maybe after one or two months everybody was so happy basically everybody knew each other at least by the face you yeah, had your own community really. there yeah it's your own community yeah. and uh, it's cool it's it's in a way people interact you know more news uh, whoever has a language barrier and trust me those are a lot of people the majority of people they would uh, survive just because of that community they would find it very hard to uh, uh to integrate into the Irish com- community because of the language barrier.
1: With you being the translator then everyone must have come to you. You
2: Exactly. Do they you know- ran to me. They didn't come to me. They ran to me. Oh, please I have an emergency. I need to call an ambulance and I can't. And unfortunately what happened even though there was a Ukrainian uh manager at the reception uh, an English-speaking Ukrainian manager, she would refuse to do things because that's not part of her job. Like and call she- an ambulance? Uh, Maybe not in that extreme, okay. but there was one occasion when, I don't know for what, I, I wouldn't lie, I don't know what the reason was why somebody else couldn't help her, but yeah, sometimes they refuse because they say, guys, look, it's not my job, I have to, to like run here urgently on my own things so figure it out
1: i kind of understand that though a little bit
2: because you know when it's a one-time occasion at the very beginning you are helpful and i don't mean anything bad towards the management or something you help them out and then you help them out again and help them out again and like when it's every single day like 20 times a day they start refusing people because come on it's not my job i'm not a translator try to find your own way there yeah yeah and me being a translator uh myself, it kind of hurts. I'm like, people, you need to hire me. I'm a qualified translator. Come on. I can do all this job for all the hotel for one salary. But it didn't happen.
1: I understand. I understand where the manager's coming from. So there's there's help and then you you have people then becoming dependent on the manager, yeah, yeah, exactly. When the manager has another job to do, yeah, and that's not their job. Yeah,
2: and she's torn apart in between yeah. people, her own management, and you know. So then you issues to address you, you to.
1: become the community translator,
2: kind of, yeah, for in a free, way, for free, yeah,
1: and you don't get paid.
2: Don't get paid, yeah, it's correct.
1: And most of your time is taken up helping people filling out forms.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, so on multiple, I can. Kind of like at least the occasions where I've been helpful. So communicating with the HCE, the doctors coming in from the hotel for vaccination, for, uh, for example, filling in the medical cards for people. who. So who require. calls you, the
1: people or the hotel? The people. The people.
2: People themselves. And
1: yeah. do they ever give you like a little tip? Do they ever say that?
2: Sometimes they're grateful, like, I don't know, a box of chocolates or something, but that's not, not really not not really on a large scale, yes. But people are grateful. I don't mean to complain about people. No, but, but it's interesting. That, that puts I mean, everybody yeah, in no, a certain kind of a weird situation here.
1: Look, at, I know there's help in your community, but I mean, if you were a plumber and you were going around fixing everybody's boilers, people would have to pay you.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, what's
1: the difference?
2: Yeah, that's why I approached uh, the management of the hotel with a with a kind of a, an offer. <laughs> so, not that I meant to be an imposter, but like, look, I feel there is a huge, and it, it it's a real thing, I can like, uh, you know, I, I swear on it. Mm. Like, there is a huge demand here in at least one translation for such a big Ukrainian community where the majority, the vast majority of people don't speak any English, you know. And they say, yeah, we agree, we totally agree with you, but we are not the ones to pay you your salary. We are employees ourselves, you know, they employed us. So you need to to go to somebody who is their manager. But then again, the manager of the place we are staying in, it's just the place we are staying in. I, I actually got lost in who I have to to turn to to try and raise uh, the importance of this like position being opened up so is it the government is it the municipal government like
1: uh, have you gone to the top manager
2: top manager of the hotel you of mean, the whole yeah they, they are not interested they're not, are not interested. interested because they're ho- the hotel. And you can understand them too. They are the hotel people. They say my job yeah, is not about like... Yeah, but hang on like now.
1: Fair enough. That's fine. They're the hotel people. But they're making huge money. They're being paid huge money to accommodate you every night.
2: Well, uh, Perhaps. I've heard well, about yeah, it. They I, are. I it. Yeah, I cannot attest to it. But that's what I've heard. Okay.
1: Well, it's it's well documented. And you can find it anywhere on the internet. How many... How much they get per person, per room, per whatever. So that it's not as if that things are that tight. That they can't afford to pay
2: one salary. one, And I would a, even accept the minimum salary, whatever the minimum. It's range. a vital
1: role. Like, we're not asking you to create a role of, here, I'll go around cleaning all your windows. Well, we don't really want to wash the windows. Yeah. That's fine. You're creating a vital role to help the community. That you're in.
2: I know. That's why I was so like passionate about like asking them and knocking on doors. But
1: But nobody
2: opened up. You're you're too nice, you
1: see, because you're doing it for free. They don't need to pay you.
2: Yeah, that's that's another way to look at it. That's shocking.
1: It's shocking. From my point of view, right, from an Irish person's point of view, what happened next then is there was another wave of people who came in to the community and they're not Ukrainian. And the, these people are classed as refugees. They're not classed as, what are you classed
2: temporary, as? Res, uh, temporary At, Protection status.
1: And these people aren't allowed to work for the first six months they're here yeah, and they don't true. have their passports. But the problem is no one was told about them. They, yeah, they the kind
2: of gave us uh, the heads up, like you might be expecting more people from different countries coming in. How did they tell you that?
1: How, how did they communicate that uh, to you?
2: I think it was during one of the meetings, the general meetings. Did you though. have
1: how how often are these general meetings?
2: Very, very, kind of hardly ever. Oh yeah, <laughs> a, a few times, maybe right. a year.
1: Because what happened was we started hearing about it on TikTok. Let's say where these independent journalists would show up and they'd do these sensational videos and throw out wild accusations and wild claims. And then it gets us thinking, well, is that happening or is it not happening? And then you have to go and try and do your own research and then you can't, There's no no one will give you any answers. And like you say, you contact the council, they don't tell you anything. You contact the guards, they don't tell you anything. You contact the hotel, they don't tell you anything. Only that you know... That sometime during the night, a few busloads of people came.
2: Yeah, that's how we are facing it as well. From so for countries- example, I just see a bus that has just arrived full of people and we see them with suitcases or so like not really suitcases sometimes it's bundles of clothes you know
1: and we say people these are men
2: hard to say i would say it's 50-50 Is but it? that's a very rough thing to say like 50-50 men and women they are family people most of them are family so it's a family together from my understanding all over the world so by the language because i'm a language studies person i pick up on languages so i hear like spanish georgian uh, that that i can recognize arabic um some people from africa somalia albania all over the world so it's
1: not just us then that were left in the dark you didn't know they were coming either uh
2: not really they kind of gave us the heads up in general statement there will be people coming in but time dragged on time went on and nothing happened and we kind of like chose to believe there will be no one coming in and one day they did, in bulk, like a huge number of people. And we were as shocked as probably you guys.
1: And you have to share the same, say, dining room with them.
2: Yeah, same dining room. That's so, where the first conflict started. It's just very different cultures gathered together in one room that is not as big to accommodate everyone. That's why we have kind of, we take turns to eat. It's not like if everybody wants to eat at the same time, there is not enough space.
1: So, and how does that work out? How do you, how? Uh,
2: they give a time, a time slot for, like, uh, each meal, you know. So, for example, two hours to take the meal. And that's for that reason. Because but you, you have to book in a time? No, 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 not really. Okay. But uh, they kind of, they, they tried to figure out a system. For example, room, rooms number, these, these, these go at this time slot. Oh, okay, I getcha. And other rooms. Uh, but then it went, uh, you know, All right. somewhere. <laughs> it didn't work like that anymore. It I'm was just a good idea. To... It didn't work because some people couldn't, for example, they are in town, they can't make the time, you know. I'm just trying
1: to get my head around it. So, let's say, uh, for hypothetically speaking, on Monday we go down for dinner, it's a couple of hundred Ukrainian people that everyone knows, you you all know, whatever everyone looks like. You have a good idea, yeah. yeah, At least Tuesday, then you have equal numbers of strangers. From, to, all over the world. from all over the world yeah, to ukrainian true. people yes and what kind of vibe is there then
2: uh very noisy vibe the first thing you notice is like horrendous noise obviously probably we've been told actually on some occasions that we a little bit like noisier that let's say, Irish people.
1: You're nosier. Not nosier. Noisier. Noisier. Just, you
2: know, the the, uh, pitch, like the tone of the voice when you're speaking about mundane things. You're not angry. It's just the way you speak. Yeah. So we are louder. We tend to be a little bit louder than most of the Irish people. And I would accept that. I think it's true. But then when all these people from all over the world came in, we are the quietest there. You know, we were, like, shocked with how noisy and hectic and, like overwhelming this is but that's that was our new reality some of the people were friendly though other people just don't follow their common rules for example they uh i don't know can leave mess at the table whilst everybody else is cleaning after themselves after they have a meal because it's a self catering facility you know you need to clean after yourself people work hard in the kitchen to accommodate that many people at the same time. So you sit down for dinner
1: and then you clear up after yourself. Yeah,
2: yeah. Everybody is doing it. And because they were newcomers, uh, it was a slow, painful process for them to like start doing the same. And up to this day, there are complaints about some people not doing it. Not necessarily, maybe there are some Ukrainians also not kind of like following the same rule. Uh, But clashes, like uh, at at least during the initial time, the clashes were around like how they are uh, handling things in the eating room.
1: When you That's say clashes, so. do you mean, like, there's verbal altercations yeah, between verbal people?
2: verbal altercations, like trying to politely uh, point out to them, like, hey, guys, I understand you are newcomers, maybe you're not acquainted with our regulations yet, but this is how we live here, okay? Everybody cleans after themselves. There were posters about, uh, in English, about needing, like, like, the need to do this, mm. and... Um, situation got a little bit better. It's still very, very noisy. <laughs> and is
1: there anyone like a coordinator that tell that comes over to the table and says, look, this is how it has to be done?
2: Not really, no. No, no. it's fine for fair, yourself. Nobody kinda... kind of conducted a meeting for those people. Uh, so I guess the way they learned how things work is by us telling them or by kitchen staff telling them. Kitchen staff is predominantly Ukrainian. It's all Ukrainian people working there. You know.
1: And is the cuisine Ukrainian?
2: Yeah, no, no it's not. It used to be, uh, well, it used to be a kind of, I would say, a mix of Irish, Ukrainian. So we would sometimes get our favorite Ukrainian borscht that we miss so much. That's nice. the most popular uh, traditional Ukrainian dish, right? To be fair, we still get it, just not as often. And they would add something from the menus those people are used to, like some African dishes or something like that.
1: So what's the vibe like there now? In the community, let's uh, and I and I call it a community. I think
2: everybody calm down a little bit because uh we we were taught this is how things are, you have to be tolerant and patient, and those people are in need of help or and temporary accommodation as well as you are. So the only like statement they would make us uh they they would make to us is like be tolerant. Don't be racist. Don't be so, racist. racist.
1: You see, this yeah. is the thing that kind of bothers me as well, because I think it's all about communication. Communication is key. And this is just my own opinion. I think if it was handled a little bit better and communicated a little bit better, I don't think people would be as strung up. I think people people almost believe there's something sinister happening because we don't know what's happening whereas if it was communicated better then people would be a little bit more relaxed about it but, you know if you're told it's happening and then it happens and then you're told what's happening and how it's happening and you're brought along on the journey then you're not as strung up but because everything is cloak and dagger we don't know how many people
2: oh absolutely
1: well at the moment we have no idea how many people from other countries are staying in your community? Like we do, we don't know.
2: I'd say soon enough we can be the minority there. So we as Ukrainians. The
1: Ukrainians maybe may let's just say hypothetically speaking, you're a third of a third of your community is I Ukrainian. Think right two now may, uh,
2: I think right now it's close to fifty-fifty maybe ratio. But okay. things being as they are, and some Ukrainian people moving out of the country, the popular destination, if they do decide to move out, is Canada, for example. On their places, there are people not from Ukraine taking their places. Right. Right. So that's how the ratio is, you know, tipping over. Yeah. So just
1: to get back to to my point about the communication, then when we ask questions like, what's going on there? Uh, Where did the 50% of this community come from? And why are they there? And who are they? The first thing you're told is, hey, don't be racist and you're like i'm not being racist i just want information yeah i just exactly. want to know what's going on it's not this is my community this is where i've lived all my life i just like to know what's happening no you're being racist that's how i feel we're being treated
2: yeah even today i made like a remark because people kids some kids were a little bit noisy right right in front of my our room door okay they were making noise it's a common area you can't play there there is a special playroom downstairs i would politely ask them the father came out and like but uh, are you only making remarks to uh, like uh, uh, from what the way i take it is you only make comments or complaints about my kids i'm like man this is not true Uh, there were ukrainian kids making noise yesterday last night and i uh the same way i just went out of my way to explain to them please be quiet so i'm very objective here i'm not taking anybody's side but he was a man and he tried to overpower me by the idea that that's because we are not ukrainians you you ask my kids not to make noise no i'm asking your kids not to make noise because that's what i would ask of anyone including all of the ukrainians leaving Okay, but he immediately their kind of protection reaction is like to throw in. It's almost I feel like this kind of like uh, cultural or intolerance is being manipulated. Uh, And I don't like the feeling because this is objectively not true. I actually quarrel with Ukrainians more if their kids are noisier than with foreigners, the kids of the foreigners. Uh, we did kind of like peacefully resolve the situation for today but god knows how it's gonna be tomorrow and onwards it's kind of like a little bit we are a little bit separated in terms of uh, the area we are living in but it's a mix for example on my floor my immediate neighbors are people not from ukraine and they uh, moved in to live there just a few months ago Before that, I had Ukrainian neighbors. So somebody moved out. There was another family moving in, already not from Ukraine. So it is like they are blending us with these people and all the kind of like acute situations arise from this because and if something pops up, immediate reaction is don't be racist. You're against me because I'm from this country. And he only changed his attitude to me a little bit when I diplomatically said, hey, man, we are all in a bad situation here. Just be respectful all I'm asking is respect, I respect you, please respect me.
1: So you think that they are the first people to throw the race card and say...
2: Yeah, it was at certain point people, Ukrainians even joked like, hey, why nobody is talking about Ukrainians... Uh, being discriminated on a Ukrainian basis like oh if you are from Ukraine you are against us because we are not from Ukraine but that's a a way of discrimination Ukrainians you can't voice your concern up you can't talk to them peacefully it's always uh, from the prism or the context it's always there's always a context of like hey you don't talk to me like this because I'm different then I, I would assume you're from a different you know
1: so has the way of life changed then? Has, has life changed in recent months then in, in your area?
2: Yeah, I think it would become more hectic, especially it was tough at the beginning, at the very beginning. It was a huge shock when all these people just suddenly showed up and a lot of turmoil and uh, everything just went haywire.
1: So we're talking there was 200 Ukrainians down for dinner on Monday and on Tuesday there was 400 people down for dinner, 200 Ukrainians yeah, and 200 yeah. people from other countries yeah overnight
2: overnight almost yeah they did come like uh, the first wave was the bigger wave and then what happened is a uh, smaller number of people would be added gradually to
1: it and have you ever spoken to them have you do you know anything about them like have they yeah, come some from people
2: are kind of very friendly they tell you where they come from i'm sure they like, have
1: similar stories to you
2: yeah, some of them are in trouble, like there is poverty in their country or natural disaster in their country. In some situations, you don't really know why they're there and you think, uh, is it me? Maybe I'm not updated on what's going on in the world. Is it something else? But it can be either. And some of them are very decent people. And like you would say, they're in the same shoes, same boat yeah. as you are. Yeah. Some people would be very different from you. I don't know. It's just... Very different culture-wise. Yeah, because it,
1: it, it makes me nervous and it makes me a little bit sad because like we're all on this planet doing the best we can with the tools we have. We're all doing our best. When it was Ukraine, it was like, oh, let's do our best. Let's do whatever we can to help them. Do you want a bicycle? Oh, I have an old bicycle at the shed. I'll give you that. And then suddenly somebody from Georgia lands and you're like, well, h- hang on now a second. We didn't know you were coming. Now people's backs are up and they're like, we don't have as much compassion for those people. As we did. And maybe
2: U- wrongly so in some cases. So the there is a story behind everything, but then we don't know all of the stories. And that creates that mystery. And yeah. mystery creates kind of like that sense of unsettlement. You yeah. Know?
1: How but- do we fix that?
2: I think people need to tell their stories why they're here. I don't know. I can tell mine openly as I did today, and it was quite a story.
1: Do you uh, think the hotel needs to be more um, vocal about it? I'm not just saying your hotel, and this is not this is not me. Haven't no, we've never mentioned your hotel? We're not going to mention your hotel, and it's happening in loads of different hotels. I'm just saying in general. Do you think we need to get better at communicating? what's going on with this let's call it the second wave of people that came in
2: yeah i think absolutely and to for for those like initial people to be more accepting of what's going on right they need to be informed about what's going on with the best intentions in mind and again these people maybe Up to this day, I still don't understand on what grounds some people are staying there. So I only know my status, and I know that the rest of the people have applied for a refugee status, which is a different one, legally speaking. Mm. And that's all we know. We don't know why they applied, how they applied. And what their story is behind this? So what they flee from, right? So that's that's the mystery, even to us Ukrainians. We we are in the dark as much as you guys are.
1: Would you say that the majority of these, and I I use this word very loosely. You you said earlier on conflict, like it's very verbal. These conflicts. It's are verbal. Very verbal. Yeah, yeah, I
2: don't mean anybody's really fighting no. or something. Would like you say that the, ma- the majority
1: on? of these verbal contra- verbal um, conflicts and altercations yeah. are coming from a lack of communication from the top.
2: I, I would say so, yeah. You can't
1: fire a load of people into a room and just expect everybody to get on. And
2: just telling them, don't be racist and that's about it?
1: If you had 400 people from the north of Ireland and 400 people from the south of Ireland and you fired them all into a hotel t- and said, live there together, there's going to be conflict. It and has... you,
2: you guys are one country, right? Yeah. And imagine how it's like you're not one country, you are the whole world. And now, please coexist that's or like all live together different cultures yeah yeah some people for example uh, some people are not used to uh eating in the eating room with using uh forks knives you know spoons for example they're eating with their hands that's yeah. their culture some come to their eating room bare feet that's their culture they have no shoes. Some uh, children, especially children, but some adults, uh, I'm sure they do it as well. I caught a few hands like that. Just touching all the food that has no cover on it. And they are not taking this food. You know, somebody else will take it unbeknownst to them that it has been touched by everybody at the hotel. And, you know, it's a high concentration of people. I think the main problem is not who is placed in the hotel, but how many of ours are placed and the lack of communication, who we are to each other and how we are supposed to interact considering the number of people and their differences in culture, you know.
1: Why would they touch all the food? are you talking about just kids? choosing just
2: the best piece the plumpiest the right. i don't know tastiest piece of slice of bread and then somebody else just takes the same piece of bread and that's, that's just not hygienic, yeah you know? yeah and once you see that after that i stopped eating bread at the hotel really so yeah i just buy bread or i don't eat bread whatever or i Take bread and I uh, use their toaster because toaster with a high temperature just kills whatever jumps.
1: <laughs> and the other thing, there's all these stories going around at the minute where ladies don't feel safe in their communities.
2: Like, what do you mean?
1: Um, that some of the people are intimidating and that you don't feel safe there anymore.
2: Well, that's. Personally, I don't really feel kind of like intimidated or not safe. There might be cases like this. I haven't heard of uh, many. I think what uh, people are concerned about is that nobody's criminal record has been checked prior, or at least we don't have any idea. And I don't think that everybody, like, I wouldn't mind if they did it to Ukrainians as well. I have no criminal record in my country. I have no problem me being checked up by anyone, Irish government, Ukrainian government, and like, please do, right? But here, yeah, I think the thing about it is nobody really knows. And
1: it's all the secrecy and the the
2: secrecy, again, lack of information. It all boils down to the lack of information in community as such what made people believe that they are not really safe here is all the uh, is all the guards that uh, appeared as soon as the new arrivals uh, you know were placed in before that when it was just ukrainians there was no uh, patrol police or anything and we lived and nobody had a thing with us
1: you mean uh, security guards
2: security guards yeah and suddenly they pop up simultaneously with the wave of the newcomers. And I don't know if it's just a coincidence or it's the number of people that are leaving or that, you know, some other issues are at play here. We have no idea. But they emerged as soon as the new people came. When Ukrainians were there, there was no security guard as such.
1: But in a way, it's good that the security arrived with them because it wasn't as if the security arrived because there was a need there was these altercations every 10 minutes.
2: Yeah, I think it, it came like it works automatically, yeah. hand in hand. Well, they just, they are trying to maybe prevent something. To me, to that, make it that sounds safer. better.
1: Yeah. It sounds better in a way. But uh, but from outside looking in, from the Irish person walking down the road who walks past there, there every day, I walk past on Monday and there's no security. I walk past on Tuesday and there's 10 security guards. And I, yeah, don't, I have no information. Random. So suddenly I think, oh, what happened in there? Why do they need 10 security guards?
2: Yeah, exactly. I understand. But that's how we feel, because we don't have more information than you do. Whenever something like that happens, we have no idea why they are there. How does that make you feel? Disconcerted. And then again, they check. I don't mind them checking, but then even if I'm walking... For example, after a certain hour, they would ask for my ID and check me and check the room number. Who does? uh, The security guard. That's their job. That's understandable. But it never happened before. So it was a drastic change there. So before that, they just trusted us. Nobody asked for my ID or something. Now it's all very, you know, their car can't get in unless they are authorized to do so.
1: I feel personally that it's disrespectful to everyone in that community not not just the ukrainians from it doesn't matter what country you're from not to be able to sit down and communicate with everyone and make this work how is it going like what's what's the future going to be if we can't sit down and have a chat and integrate people together
2: we can't can't just land
1: a thousand people and just say here get on with it we can't do that
2: yeah especially kind of like disturbed people in a way after war and you know what happened with ukrainians when the majority of ukrainians including myself after we just arrived we heard the fireworks somebody was celebrating something probably a wedding pretty innocent and should be a joyous occasion but yeah. for ukrainians that sound was a sound of like gunfire and explosions right so our like instinctive reaction was to duck down and, and kids cried This is our reaction to a peaceful firework, okay? So we are all affected people here, and if you, like, add to whatever psychologically is going on to people, it's already kind of like bad enough. We're already a little bit, you know, not in a bad, not in a good place to be, uh, to begin with, considering what happened. Whoever went through war, this is what happened to me personally up to this day, I'm kind of like I'm, you know, uh, jumpy of any uh, loud sound. Be it fireworks, anything. So I was kind of like uh, really scared for Halloweens, uh, New Year's, like firecrackers. I I just, up to this day, I have a kind of like a, you know.
1: Are you working at the moment?
2: Well, yes. I am teaching English to Ukrainian adults. Mostly Ukrainian. I don't limit myself with Ukrainians per se, but Ukrainians are the people who are coming, basically. I took it upon myself to like to be in this role uh, and I'm I've been doing it since May 9 2022 for free
1: for free yeah so you're not working so you are working but you're not getting paid
2: yes yes and some you- officially I'm still getting my dole and feeling bad about it because I'm supposed to be working and getting my salary and I would feel more comfortable that way To
1: be Yeah, honest. you need that independence you want to work
2: yes Especially I can do the work and there is huge demand for what I'm doing because English is the key factor for people, uh, for Ukrainians and everybody else to integrate into the Irish society.
1: So have you tried to get a job in that area? Have you tried to get a job as a...
2: Yeah, the problem is we are a little bit in the area which is away from the town or town center right and if you don't have a car like uh it's tricky to get but then again even in the nearest town there is no demand for these kind of services per se another aspect of this is they do provide native english teachers for free that uh, they even come to the hotel to teach ukrainians the problem with this is this this is work uh, this works and this is very good for people who Already have certain level of English. They
1: you're um, saying there's there's English-speaking people coming to the hotel to teach Ukrainians how to speak English. Yes, yes. But they don't speak Ukrainian.
2: They don't speak any Ukrainian, and And they're getting paid. They're getting paid, yes. And I don't. And we are colleagues. We are like in one room. This is
1: insane.
2: Yes, but they're assigned by their educational training board, I believe. And they are on their salary, yeah. Uh, And for me, people sometimes give small donations for stationery, like felt-tip pants markers. Uh, I'm buying everything by myself, basically.
1: How often do you do your classes then?
2: Uh, It's at least twice a week, four hours a week, Every week, like clockwork, for almost a year, and I'm preparing for all the classes. And uh, people he- gave me very good recommendations. To be honest, I'd and say some they of do. Even broke, like they pass some very important uh, exams. So I'm helping them to pass exams with other English uh, teachers or at the college uh, college where. Uh, they are studying at the moment because there is uh, also opportunity to study in Ireland. But again, language barrier. It all boils down to language barrier. And I would say 80%, maybe more than 80% of people have zero to low level of English fluency capacity.
1: I can't help but think we as Irish people have made a shite of this. Have you ever heard that expression?
2: Yes, a <laughs> no, shite. I feel
1: yeah. like we have made a shite of this. Like,
2: Why would you say so?
1: All right, we have and again these are these are just hypothetical numbers. We've 200 Ukrainians, 200 people from nine other countries. We have an English-speaking teacher coming in teaching Ukrainian people to speak English, but they don't speak Ukrainian. There's no communication at dinner time. There's no communication with who these other people are. There's not no effort to to integrate Ukrainian people with the other yeah. people in the community and then integrate you all into our community. Like, what's going on? Not to
2: say that, for example, native English teachers are not helpful. Absolutely. But it has to be like a combination of two. Ideally, we should work hand in hand, for example. Or, for example, native English teachers should take the groups with higher level who can already understand basic English and explain the more complex things using simpler English words. But for people who have no clue, and most of my students are just, you know, zero level or basic level, Or even some of them who are with better level, they find it uh, very, very useful to attend my classes because what I'm given is not given, uh, you know, during their native teacher class. And that's understandable to me, but somehow people do not see it happening, you know.
1: What are your goals then? Have you got any goals in the next? So like, whilst all this is going on in the background, you're you're still worrying about your mom and dad, you're still worrying about your brother, you... Ultimately I guess want to go home at some stage this isn't your home what yeah. what are what are your what's your plans what what would you like to see happening oh
2: my plans and my goals and my priorities for now is to be officially employed here i, I would say so You'd i just love a job. I, i'm yeah i'd love a job and i i feel like people respect me my reputation at the hotel is gained through people who i'm teaching and i feel like a high level of respect towards me as a teacher and i want i would like and i would be very appreciative if like irish people would see me the same as a specialist especially since it's backed up by a degree i have masters in language studies and i'm qualified to teach english to ukrainian people okay this is uh, all i'm asking is to do the same job i'm qualified to do uh, I'm also a technical translator, a good one. So I've worked in this capacity for a number of years. All my life, I've been working for international companies. So uh, I would like to realize myself, like to, to, you know, to make something of myself professionally, as a professional.
1: Let's say, worst case scenario, you're in, it's just the town you're in. You're not going to get a job in that field in the town you're in. What, do you change town or do you change profession?
2: Well, it depends. It's a good question. While I'm doing what I'm doing kind of like for free, I don't feel the pressure to move uh, elsewhere. But then again, money can be tight.
1: Who who should pay you for doing what you're doing now?
2: To be honest, I don't have the answer to it. If I knew, maybe I would turn to that person. Okay. Right? I don't know who is responsible for like employing people like myself in this country. Is it the department, the educational department like ETB? Is it their municipal government? Like what kind of uh, structure I need to to turn to for help?
1: Hopefully somebody listening to this podcast could help us with that and, and try and get some... <laughs> I'd love to see you getting some sort of assistance. You know, you don't want to yeah, be on the thanks door. thanks so
2: much. It's also an opportunity for me to speak up on, yeah. on the matter. I know you were nervous about it. I, I was, why? to tell you the truth. And,
1: yeah. and that's interesting as well. So, like, do you want to explain why you were nervous? What was making you nervous?
2: Well, just because I've never done podcasts in my life. This is my first one ever. And I've never spoken into the mic. I never s- I've never spoken to an Irish person like that, you know. So, Wait. I'm just a very responsible person. And I feel like... I'm probably a perfectionist, so whatever I'm doing, I have to do, like, the best way possible.
1: Well, you're a fantastic storyteller. Well, thank you. You're very good at telling a story and setting a scene. Uh, I really enjoyed that. You've got fantastic English. And you don't want to be on the dole. Like, you want to get a job. You want to be working.
2: Yeah, that would make me feel better about myself and more appreciated, needed and Probably just respect it. It's about... And give you a bit of independence. Yeah, and independence too. Sure, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know when you said you were nervous about coming on the podcast, were you nervous about repercussions for something you said? Were you nervous about saying something that that you're not really allowed to say or that that people... Like you say there, when you were giving out to the child in the hallway, automatically you were being called racist. But it wasn't about the color of the child or the nationality of the child it was about do
2: exactly the same with any ukrainian child or any child it was about the child making noise outside your door it it was about the noise not their
1: are you nervous about that are you nervous about how people could take things up maybe actually
2: yeah even if, if i i believe some of the people if they listen to it they would label me as a racist unfortunately uh, in hindsight you know i i think that could be the case like if they listen to the podcast and they like but why you like this we are people like you and uh, what's the difference they always make the point what's the difference there is no difference just we behave in a different way it's different behavioral patterns and for us to peacefully coexist we need to interact to talk and to reach a uh, consensus somewhere to, to find a common ground
1: but from outside looking in I think there needs to be a facilitator. You can't mm-hmm. you can't just fire everyone into a pot and expect them to get on. There has to be somebody to facilitate.
2: Yeah, that's definitely another role that is in huge demand in every hotel. Somebody who can Be responsible uh, outside, like apart from the, for example, Ukrainian manager role. Ukrainian manager has too many responsibilities as such, I would say, more than they can handle already. That's why they're actually kind of like declining some of their uh, requests for translation services. They just don't have the time. So a few positions filled in the hotel would make a huge difference, in my own opinion. I believe so. That's my standpoint, at least. I may be wrong, but come on.
1: Do you have to move out at any time? or is our-
2: We don't know. Nobody communicated it to us. And that's another, like, um, kind of a factor that makes us a bit, you know, nervous. We, are, we, we don't know. We don't know. We asked, uh, there was a general meeting and they told us, hey, we don't know. For now, you are here. We will inform you a few days if you need to prior to moving to having to move out if that happens that's a very short notice especially for people most people are employed here already so they rely on their accommodation for job they took okay so just saying me two days Or even a week before I need to leave this accommodation that I have no accommodation or they are moving me elsewhere and my job is here. It's a a big deal, I believe.
1: Do you have to pay for the accommodation?
2: No, not at, at the moment. They are introducing their new rule, though, that we will be supposed to pay for the food that is given to us. I think it's fair enough. But then again, lack of communication. The way they did it, they didn't communicate it directly to people the way it should be.
1: So what do you know at the minute? What have you heard?
2: At the minute, we don't know for how long we are are staying at the hotel, like at all. Nobody has a clue. And we know that as of February 15, 2023, we are supposed to pay for food provided to us, even though we don't have access to the kitchen facilities. We we have no kitchen, so for example, I can cook my food. I can buy everything myself and cook from it. But there is nowhere to cook in the hotel room, so I'm deprived of the opportunity to cook for myself. I have no fridge. I have no cooking facilities. I am not allowed to use any kind of cooking equipment inside the hotel room. It's against the law. So basically, I. can only take the option of uh, eating what they give us in the eating room. And there will be a quarter, like an amount of uh, money we need to pay for the food. there. Do you know how
1: much us. that is going to be?
2: Yeah, it's going to be 10 euros per day. But that makes 300 euros a month for food they are giving us. And we have no choice in menu like at all. So
1: 10 euros per day. Yeah. And you're on the dole. So what's yeah. that? Is that 180 euros or how much is that?
2: Uh 220 now. It's 220. Yeah.
1: And you have to pay 10 euros a day, so 70 euro, so you're down to 150 euro to live. Yeah. Every week. Yeah. And you would rather have a place, obviously, that has yeah, its own little if kitchen. If you ask
2: me, I would cook for myself. It's just easier and um, easier. I can choose what I want to eat. I cannot choose now. So that's why sometimes I skip meals altogether. I, never, I skip all the breakfast for a year now. I just don't take the breakfast. I don't. I don't eat the breakfast, that's it. Uh,
1: Out of that 150 euro, then what, what other kind of expenses do you have? So you have, you obviously clo- have to...
2: Clothes uh, travel fares, like to town, because what, we are... What's that? Uh, it used to be three euros one way, that's six euros return ticket, even though the town is fairly close. like it's Per true. day per day so that's yeah.
1: another 6 euros
2: yeah but now they uh, actually decrease their travel uh, the ticket price down to 2 euros one way that's still 4 euros a day most people need to travel to town every single day for studies school for children for example right okay And so uh, or euros just just for any kind of pastime because you know you're kind of there is nothing where we are staying if you want to do anything to buy even anything even a bottle of water you know uh, you need to go to town that's why most people travel every single day Then clothes, medical, you know, whatever, medicine.
1: If the Irish government, let's say, if we brought them all into a room and we played this podcast for them, which would never happen on a month of Sundays, but <laughs> if if that was to happen, what would you say to them? Then What advice would well, you give them? Well, first and
2: foremost, I would probably thank them for everything they've done for Ukrainian people. It's like to say that I'm just grateful, appreciative is an understatement. I do mean what I'm saying here. I'm very genuine in this regard. And actually, the level of support... The accommodation I'm living in, I wouldn't be able to afford it from my doll elsewhere. Like the meals, no matter what meals, I still appreciate them. I eat them every single day and that's what keeps me going and living in this country. I wouldn't have had any of that if it was not for the Irish government. So I do feel like the level of uh, support from the government is tremendous. But if there is something I would maybe point out as a you know as um thing as something that needs to be addressed more is maybe trying to find a way for ukrainians to authenticate the degrees they got in ukraine in this country to try and fit in with the like employment you know on the employment scene here uh because a lot of people it's a we are a very educated nation. It just happens so and a lot of people kind of and it doesn't even depend on the it's not like we are wanting uh, that we want bigger salary, for example. It just for whatever salary I'm talking about me personally, maybe somebody is looking after money.
1: I, I actually heard of, of an optician
2: who okay. can't work
1: in Ireland because her qualification doesn't Exactly. Exist. Doctors
2: are screwed. Yeah. Imagine. So um, I get your point
1: yeah. here. Yeah. So go, sorry to interrupt you, but go yeah. on. It's, yeah. not, it's, it's not about like the salary.
2: Uh, it's not about the salary. Give me the minimum rate here and I'm willing to do the same job, which would normally pay more to the Irish person. And I would be OK with this because I understand I'm not from this country and they're giving me, uh you know, an opportunity to somehow uh you know support myself here and i think it's a very fair deal it's not about how much you pay me it's about the type of job i can do this and if the person is qualified to do a, a job on a very high level i would say and um uh of course if there is like a language barrier problem that's another issue so some people are very qualified in their area like medical area but their english is not good enough then there is kind of like a discrepancy here a little bit so their english needs to be improved it, it's it's a kind of like a complex effort needs to be made here to be made here right but for example if we i don't mean to sound selfish or anything but if we mean me for example uh, my English is good and I'm qualified to do teaching and translation. So allow people who... That's not going to be a huge number of people with very good English and qualified to do a certain job here to have a little bit more opportunity or hope there. And again, it doesn't boil down to the rate you're paying me, but to the how I feel in my job, that I feel kind of like respect. Job satisfaction. Yeah, job satisfaction. Mm. That is my true... I want to, to serve my true calling, not doing something... To survive, to, to, to get money to survive. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing for free. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. But it does give me satisfaction. And I've I've been doing it for almost a year now. I think it's a good enough proof of my kind of like clear intentions and genuine intentions in this.
1: Yeah. And I think we're very quick to forget that there's real people with real skills living in these areas, whether it's a lady who knows how to sew a pair of pants or a man that knows how to sew a pair of pants or whether it's a butcher or a doctor or a vet or a painter
2: or a driver or a, a driver.
1: Thing, yeah. we, we forget that there's real people with real skills.
2: And most of them, I would say the majority, uh, have degrees, bachelor's, master's, PhD, a lot of PhD uh, people as well. Not myself. Uh, I don't have PhD degree, but I know people who do. Uh, I'd love in medicine. to see. Especially. I'd
1: love to see more communication. I'd love to see it because we don't know enough. All we're hearing is these crazy stories about every hotel in the country being booked up and they're getting crazy money and that's all they care about is fill every bed, fill it to the rafters, get as much money as we can. But no one's thinking long term. No one that's my opinion. My opinion is no one's thinking what's the next plan? Right, we're getting we might get 50,000 euros a day for this particular center, but what's What's next, like, what's the future?
2: From my understanding, uh, the Irish government is kind of interested in keeping Ukrainians in this country because I've heard about like uh, they're going to introduce temporary, they're they're willing to give temporary residence permit, but again to those who work or study here in Ireland. I wanted to study, but they said we don't have a course in languages here. Okay, so it's just I had to learn I don't know something else from scratch with Mm. no job, real job prospects when. What I've already learned and know is in huge demand here. It's just because of this discrepancy I didn't fit in with any study course. I don't want to be a hairdresser. I'm not good at it. I'm good at languages. I'm good at writing. I'm not good at cutting somebody's hair, for example, right? So I'm neither uh, studying studying no working officially which puts me if uh, I want to apply for a temporary residence permit I can't unless I take any job for the sake of the job so to to be legally staying in the country while I can help on a different level if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah that is difficult because the same thing happened during the pandemic with Irish people and singers let's just say there was no gigs and singers weren't allowed to sing and go to gigs and and earn a living and they were told well. Upskill, do something else, and you're trying to explain to somebody yeah, it's like who has only re-educate yourself, who has only sang all their life, and that's all they know how to do, and all they want to do is music all their life.
2: Because they're passionate about it. They're passionate it. about yeah. it.
1: Then they're told, i'll oh, just go and do something else." Yeah,
2: Did you know, like learn some handia
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not Trained. fair. It's not fair, really. What do you think is going to happen long term?
2: Well, I still kind of hold on to the hope that I can stay here longer. Uh, I'm a firm believer. I came here for a reason. I have uh, f- good, I know good people from here, and I have trust in people. I still have trust in the government because they are really supporting me currently. I can't deny that fact. Uh, and uh, I believe that maybe somebody will hear this podcast and they will maybe look at things a bit differently from a different angle and uh, so. just see. See things in a different light and try to adjust uh, the information they've received to benefit everybody, the Irish community and the Ukrainians.
1: I'm going to stop talking now because we've been talking for ages and (laughs) I have your head wrecked. But I would love to talk to you again in maybe six months or 12 months.
2: Yeah, that would be lovely. And
1: to see what has happened since.
2: Hopefully things will change for the better or some issues will be resolved or we will be all in a happier, better place. Yeah, I hope so.
1: I hope so. And I I honestly can't thank you enough for taking the time to do it and for your honesty because I know you were quite nervous. Are are you nervous now? How do you feel now at the end of it? No,
2: actually, you know, it's like not... There is a good saying, it's not the death itself that scares you, is the waiting period. It's the same <laughs> here. Like, once I've studied, I kind of felt very good. Okay. But before that, in my mind, all the previous day and even the previous week, I was like thinking in my head, in my head, in my head. And that's what uh, got me kind of like. You know, my nerves wrecked.
1: Okay, thank you so much, and I wish yeah, you thank the very you. Best I appreciate love. giving
2: me the opportunity to speak up, and um, yeah, hopefully I didn't like, you know, offend anyone here with best intentions. Just hopefully somebody will hear what I wanted to get to people. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award winning manufacturer of factory built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineers' fees. Please get in touch. Reviewing of our show homes. A brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie.